Welcome to Jeff's World with Jeff Stein, the show that sees life through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. Because in Jeff's World, we blow minds, enlarge hearts, and leave no man or child behind. And now, here's your host, Chief Executive Optimist and President of these inspired states of mind, Jeff Stein. So the reason I'm doing this show with these lovely co-hosts of mine, Eric Ferriston and Jeff Hendrick. Thank you for joining us. Uh, always join us on uh, Facebook or Twitter. We uh, we read it. We check it out. Uh, Instagram, too. Instagram, of course. Uh, there's something... I mean, even Hendrick will jump in and, and banter with you, and I'm so grateful. Sometimes I don't have the patience, and he does. <laughs> and I'm so grateful for that. Um, and he's uh, back. Thank God we got you back. Got the whole crew back again. Uh, and again, thank you for joining us, because... I feel like you just got to, it's like, you know, it's like a giant nationwide intervention. We have to talk about these things. We have to work this through. More like a support group. A support group. Nothing feels normal. And that's okay. Because in this is, again, I've said it before, but this is the high growth. This is the, the great thing about this. Because with every reaction, every crazy thing that goes on, whether it's based in this administration and obvious targets like that, or in Congress or your local governments or just in pop culture... Everybody is really stepping up to kind of course correct it every time something goes wrong. And that is incredibly encouraging. Um, Really can't agree with you there. Okay. (laughs) Cannot. Dead silence after the Boy Scouts from the entire right side of the aisle. We didn't hear a thing. And I understand why the CEO of the Boy Scouts didn't say anything because he's also CEO of AT&T and he's got a Comcast merger deal going on and he really has to keep kissing Trump's butt to get it done. Well, he made an apology, and that was kind of nice. No, you know, no, they, uh, dude, they, that uh, was the that was weak it sauce. Was weak. On, it I was weak sauce. Say. On the, it, it was, was. Weak sauce. Do, do not bring that sauce to the county fair. It will not win. It is yeah. weak sauce. Well, you know, yeah, they didn't. They, he didn't touch the substance of it. He just no. simply said, "We don't uh, like partisan uh, political speeches during the Boy Scout jamboree." Yeah, but what was that so. whole thing about being on the yacht with the you know scantily oh, crest, dressed Ugh. ladies and the grabbing and the thing? And, oh, it was just. Because I asked your son, I asked your son, who is of scout age, what he thought, and he was he was offended. Yeah, it's disgusting. I, I have to say, as a mother, I was offended. How could you? And, not and not yeah. much offends me. <laughs> no, it's true. Erica has a pretty wide range of tolerance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but it was, but the whole like. You know, and he makes so much money, and the money, and the money, and the money, and the ladies, and we're doing the things with the ladies. It just, it just was gross. Yeah, gross is a good word. That's a very good word. It was gross. Yeah. Yeah. And it it is, I hear what you're saying. It is disappointing that, uh, you know, the people who pride themselves on being, you know, uh, (sighs) family-oriented... Um, You're being kind. I think the people that determine themselves to be our moral arbiters were dead silent on this, yeah. and so and, and don't don't lecture me about anything else, kids. <laughs> you dropped the ball on this one. This I, is a big ball. I too thought it's it was ball. a ball. A big ball. <laughs> you don't get a you get a merit badge and apathy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was yeah, and, and you know it, when you saw the reactions of some of the the kids, the, these teenagers and stuff, a lot of teen ages. 
And people say, oh, my God, that uh, my friends who don't have kids were like, ah, I can't believe they were cheering him on. I said, you know what? Hang out at a middle school. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> they just, any kind of, a, if someone's, well, uh, someone's taking a flamethrower. Yeah, if someone's taking a flamethrower and just seem like to talk to smack about something, they don't care what the substance of the smack is. They're not concerned about it. They just find it like, oh, I can't believe he said that. Oh. Well, you know? and to right. a lot of them, if they're friends, a lot you of know. times they don't even know what they're cheering for. They're yeah, like, oh, right. Billy's cheering. Okay, I'll clap too. I mean, how old were these? How old is the youngest? Is it seven? Yeah, I mean, they could be that young. The Jamboree, I, mean, I think, is a lot Jamboree, I think you, you've got to you be double digits. to Twelve, to, yeah, ten. Twelve, oh yeah, do, ten, to, twelve, I think, is when... I, I started scouting Boy Scouts at twelve, I think. Okay. I you too? Did you? Cub Scouts you, before that, right? Yeah. Right. So, you know... And even before even before the Cubs was... I was a 4-H guy. I didn't weebelows, right? Yeah, Weebelows. Weebelows, because I always... <laughs> well, I always think that is not to cast any aspersions on the group. They're a great group, but I always think, you know, Weebelows wobble, well, but they don't fall down. And yet, when they're seven, they fall down. A lot. Yeah, I do. used um, to love to play with <laughs> Weebles. I had the Weebles treehouse. Did you? <laughs> yeah. But the other thing that encouraged me as we'll just wrap up that Boy Scout topic is that, you know, they, um, the, the kids that were kind of reacting and stuff, I was, I was amazed to hear how many of the teens, these teen Boy Scouts, got it. They were actually laughing and cheering at how much they were enjoying watching the president who they know is a crazy loose cannon be the crazy loose cannon. Right. So they were enjoying, oh, wow, we get a free live show of that looniness that everyone keeps talking about and we're seeing on TV. Right. So, so the, you're, you, what you're saying is that they weren't necessarily applauding the content. Right. Just, Many of them were savvy enough to go, I'm applauding the fact that, oh, my God, I get to see him do something right, really insane. Right. I'm here <laughs> during it. You know, and that's a bit of a factor. So today on Jeff's World, we're going to start with the lightning round, actually, then come around to national politics. Uh, and that will include things like uh, Game of Thrones goes to the dogs. You guys are keeping up, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Or the wolves. They're going to the wolves. Uh, what's new, Kaepernick? That's like a song. Uh, we're going to talk about that, the heated debate on the sports channels, which I think kind of sums up the broader social debate on race and respect. It's been great dialogue. Contentious, but great. Also, a retired lieutenant colonel, Marine pilot, is making headlines in Kentucky for taking on the establishment. Fascinating stuff there and part of our new era. Have, have you seen her ad? We're going to play it. It's kind of and awesome. it doesn't even require video. It's, it's kind it's of audio awesome. Yes, it is. <laughs> President Trump writes a Yelp review on the White House. <laughs> oh, yeah, I saw this. <laughs> it's coming. a dump. Well, <laughs> since January, I'd have to agree. It's a dump. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Spoiler alert: We'll give the we'll discuss the fine line between awareness and prevention when it comes to a growing problem among teens. Uh, also, congressional Republicans are rereading the Twenty Fifth Amendment, <laughs> <laughs> or in the case of some, having it read to them. Yes, the great rainy state of Oregon can't wait for Congress on health care reform. Tell you about what they're doing there; it's going to make Erica jealous. Plus, uh, White House interns, uh, the White White House interns, <laughs> the Shepherd Tone, Reclaiming My Time, the Scaramucci oh. Reince Seeking Missile, North Korean <laughs> Missiles, and Steve Bannon Chasing His Own Missile. That's all coming up. This is Jeff's World. Play that song. This is Jeff's World, the place where we look at this great experiment called America and hopefully leave it better than we found it, like a scout. I'm Jeff Stein with uh, Erica Ferriston and Jeff Hendrick. Thank you for joining us. Um, <laughs> lightning round. We're going to start with the lightning round. Just jump in a bunch of topics and see how they go. First, L.A., our own Los Angeles, the 2028 uh, Olympic Games. That's kind of fun. Are you excited at all or is it just me? I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm excited because we won't have to build a whole bunch of stuff. 
That's true. We Which are, is one, are of, one of the reasons. Ready. Yeah, one of the reasons we got the games is we don't really have a whole lot of construction that we need to do. I don't know if I'm looking forward to the the absolute craziness that it will bring to town, but I'm not even sure I'll be here in 11 years uh, in Los Angeles. I'm pretty sure I'll be on the planet. Yeah, but, uh, I if I'm still in LA. I'm I'm so going to every event I can. Come on, it's the yeah, Olympics. I'm kind of it's here. I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, or the you want to do one of two things: either try to catch all the events or rent your place. Because that's the other thing everybody oh, God, does genius, in a, when Olympics yeah. comes to town mm-hmm. is you rent your place for a month at extreme rates because apparently people will spend thousands, you know. And then I can go to my folks' house and watch it on TV. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Have mom fawn over me. That'd be that'd be great. <laughs> Uh, the second thing, the HBO got hacked. Uh, bigger, I didn't, I didn't know this. It was it was many many times larger than the 2014 hack of Sony Pictures. Well, I think I think North Korea was only going after that one film, right <laughs> after uh, the, yeah, 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 the yeah. interview. Yeah, the interview. Did you ever see the interview? I didn't. I feel derelict in my. Uh, viewing you could habits. you could skip it. Oh, okay, good. It's really bad. Oh, good. Like Thank shockingly you. bad. <laughs> And yet, and and yet, it was considered a threat by a, an entire country. Was it a comedy? It was supposed to be. I saw it. Oh. <laughs> it I just kind of forgot about it until That's I had a, a, yeah. That, my friend, is a scathing review right there. <laughs> oh yeah, I saw. I it, forgot for it. them to be threatened by that, they are as thin-skinned as Donald Trump. I mean, there was nothing. Oh, yeah. Is it was no, comedy? It was, it was, it was it ridiculous. It was yeah. it was Franco and Rogan. Those guys aren't highbrow. Those guys are silly. Yeah. Yeah. And they revel in the silly, so and they're like spies or something. I mean, it's a silly, silly it movie. It is a very of course, silly it's movie. a silly movie. Well, anyway, <laughs> HBO got to hack to the tune of 1.5 terabytes of data, including the Game of Thrones uh, script being dumped out on the internet. Apparently, they do provided... not do a spoiler alert. I will walk out of the no, room. Ma'am. No, ma'am. Yeah, no, yeah, no. Uh, I'll, so... I'll be right behind her, so don't do that. Yes, <laughs> but you guys are keeping up. Yes, been watching. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, that's another fun one. That uh, there's a story of how. How a breeder in Southern Oregon is making trying to make dire wolves. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Which I knew you all would appreciate. Oh, you kidding? It's, it's going to be the must-have Christmas gift for all spoiled children. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, apparently though, it's long before the show. It's just that uh, it kind of coincided as soon as the show came out. And she's like, "Oh, that's what I've been doing. I've been breeding kind of like dire wolves." So she's calling them American Alsatians. But uh, why? I just. Think she wants to make little wolves. I think she dire wolves. Is wolves. Co- I th- also think dire wolves might be copyrighted. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, maybe. I think it's a Dungeons and Dragons term. Is from, it from way back in the? Uh, yeah, I would trust you to know that, nerd yeah, boy. Yeah, dire wolves. I'll get my son in here, but it's up on the. Uh, you know, it's up on the on the on the, dun- on the monster manual. Get a professional manual. in here. Right. If, if it, oh wait, if it's in the actual monster manual, then yeah, it's a real then thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> it's in the monster manual. There's a monster manual. <laughs> oh, honey, you've got to sit down with us one day. I got to <laughs> bust out the twenty side. Dice teach you all crazy stuff. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> Man, so, we just dipped right into Nerdville. Uh, no, right Nerdville, there. <laughs> Nerdville. Nerd alert. All right, well, this will totally take the wind out of all the sails. All right. Uh, so I was reading this story about you got the show. We're on the show, 13 Reasons Why. Oh, you're already wincing, aren't you? Yeah. What is 13 Reasons this Why? Is this not. is the one about the girl. It's a character, Hannah. What's her name? Hannah somebody. Uh, she. It's the, the show starts where she's it's basically she's killed herself. That's the punchline of the show. And, and, and she 
has reveals 13 reason why she, she gives herself. people cassette tapes oh, uh, to oh. to the people that are responsible so to speak or at least led to the ultimate suicide oh. and it ends with the suicide which you and, know, which it began with yeah and so you, you know, know where you're but going but it's a series have you watched it Stein? I haven't been watching I've just been well, about it I watched the first episode yeah. oh, you know but everybody's like we're like oh what show do we watch now that we're waiting for Game of Thrones to come back because <laughs> there are no other good shows right. <laughs> So we watched the first episode, my husband and I, and um, but I just saw that title, which is so sad to me. But looking at the title, do you want to tell them what the title is? The the uh, name, uh, yes, internet. This is the title of the article I'm drawing this information from. Internet searches on suicide went up after 13 Reasons Why, released by Netflix. And this, and that's an that's a neutral title because they're trying to discuss about well, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? If it if it helps one kid not kill themselves, it's a good thing, period. Uh, Does it say? So here we go. All right. Uh, so they this responded with a study. JAMA, the okay. General American Medicine, you know, decided to make a, a study on it. And our analysis suggests 13 reasons why in its present form has both increased suicidal awareness while unintentionally increasing suicidal ideation. Oh. Okay. The most rising queries focused on suicidal ideation. For instance, how to commit suicide, commit suicide, how to kill yourself were all significantly higher. Suicide queries were 19% higher in the 19 days following the series release. Okay. But here's, so, here's a silver lining that kids could be looking at how to kill themselves and think, God, they all look really horrible. I don't think I'll do this. Yeah. You know, they I look painful. Know. They look the, the damage. it's too risky because, first of all, this is what I feel like media doesn't often understand. Like uh, when a teenager yeah. uh, sells cigarettes out of, you know, a package of cigarettes, which is quote unquote illegal, yeah. um, you know, kids or it flips off a cop kids do stupid things because their brains are right. literally not developed not <laughs> developed right so for well how can you have context and timing and wisdom without acquiring it you know you have to get it through experience right so right. for but me it, a 30 plus year old woman we'll just say 30 plus <laughs> you're over 30 oh my gosh <laughs> what? when did that happen if yeah. i were to research suicide the way my brain interprets it is not exactly the same as right. a teenage brain right, and that right. to me is what's concerning okay i mean i remember being a teenager and having moments of they'll all be sorry when oh, I'm sure, dead sure. and, you know, fantasizing mm -hmm. about my funeral yeah. and how sorry everyone is. And, you know, I, I have to say, I, I only watched the first episode, so I can only speak to that. And maybe it's different, but the girl is beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely Gorgeous, the right. main character yeah. who I guess in the end kills herself, right. which you know she that going in. <clears throat> I mean, I would never let my teenager watch this. I mean, and so the reason I why would never, I, I would never let my teenager watch it alone. I would watch it with them and say, is there any, you know, constantly, is there anything you want to talk about as we're watching this? Is there anything hitting home? Is there anything sounding familiar? Is there anything? Yeah. Here, <clears throat> maybe you're right and I'm wrong, but let me just no, finish no. this thought. The reason why I bring up how beautiful she is yeah. is because that is glamorizing things. Ah, okay. All right. You know, young girls... Teenage girls, even when they're I all be of like them, want to be beautiful, right? And then the other flip side of that is, look how pretty she is, and she decided to kill herself. Why am I still here? 
Well, could it's be the not other just that. It's, a, it's like glamour. Like it's that. Like they'll be sorry when, and I'm going right, to look so right. beautiful in my casket because their brains don't understand what what they should be showing is uh, graphic pictures of what the body looks like right, afterwards. Right. What they should be showing is parents throwing up, and their lives are ruined, right. destroyed, beyond repair. Their siblings, right. their friends. The they, first episode did not indicate any of that. Yeah. Maybe the rest of the episodes do, but but you know to have beautiful people in beautiful lip gloss. Yeah, I don't know. Right. It's, you need- it just concerns me, and and I don't know necessarily that these kids looking it up are getting the message. Gee, this may not be such a good idea. Right, and I think so- you're right that the fallout of that action really needs to be explored and Well, let me give you some data, too. Okay. No, this is wonderful. Um, First of all, one of the guys, you know, the professor at San Diego University who's doing the studies, first of all, said that we don't have data yet from the reaction to the show because we're still accumulating actual data. But they said that past studies have validated that internet searches mirror real-world suicide rates. So suicide rates have likely gone up as a result of this program. For me, as a data-driven political public health scientist, I see this troubling data as a strong call to action. The show must be taken down. From here's the reply from Netflix. Netflix, sorry. We always believed this show would increase discussion around this tough subject matter. This is an interesting quasi-experimental study that confirms this. We are looking forward to more research and taking everything we learn to heart as we prepare for season two. Yeah, here's an idea, Netflix. So, why don't you experiment on your own kids first? So, exactly, there's more. Uh, Hundreds of school superintendents across the United States have sent warnings to parents. You know, they're reacting to this. Uh, One of the Palm Beach County School Superintendent, Robert Avosa, wrote to parents, As a father of a teenager and tween, I am very concerned about a dangerous trend we have observed in our schools in recent days. School district personnel have observed an increase in youth at-risk behavior at the elementary and middle school levels to include self-mutilation, threats of suicide, and multiple Baker Act incidents. And by the way, the Baker Act is a Florida law that allows the involuntary commitment of people who have mental illness. That's in California, too. That's right, exactly. Students involved in the recent incidents have articulated associations of their at-risk behavior to the 13 Reasons Why Netflix series. It goes on. Um, Dan Nelson, medical director of the Child Psychiatry Inpatient Unit at Cincinnati's Children's Hospital, says... 13 Reasons Why first caused him alarm when he spoke with a 12-year-old patient about it in May. She said to me, quote, I saw that show and it really convinced me that suicide was a normal thing to do. I've never heard that. In 30 years, I've never heard a child say this thing made me think suicide is normal. That really got my attention. And there's anecdotal story after So all we have is anecdotal stories, but it's one after the other. Uh, this seems to have really jazzed up people. Like, if there's 10 steps to suicide and some kids were at three or four, it moved them to five or six or seven or eight. So, know, what do you guys think about, like, so there's the call to take it down. Yeah. And th- what about that and censorship? Like, what are your thoughts? Like, how does that work? Like, remember when Natural Born Killers came out? Yeah. And they were like, this is going to increase murders, which it didn't. Yeah, now well, that's arguable. Of course, we were on already a good, pretty good trend of you know taking the law of our <laughs> our own hands. But yeah, that show in particular, I don't think we could, could we were able to trace anything or that movie. We're tracing, <clears throat> were we? I don't know. No, but it, it, but it, it, but just in general, like you yeah. know, censorship and I mean, I just I would not let my kids watch it. And here's why I wouldn't even watch it with them. This is just from me and. 
you know, I have known people that I remember as teenagers from the past who were on the brink of suicide. And it's kind of like, it just seems like there is this, this, this part of life, this phase of life, these teenage years where just the brain is not really working. And it's almost like if you can, if you can, if you can keep that person to not commit suicide, by the time they're 25, they will, even if they have the same problems, they're still nerdy or they're still not in the clothes. They seem to find their niche. They seem to find, like, yeah. it's like, and at about 25, the brain starts to mature. It's like this period of time where you've got to almost like shelter them through before they do irreparable damage. Anyway, the reason why I wouldn't even want to watch it with the kids is, I'm going to use an analogy. Um, we I used to love to watch Dr. Drew on his mm. show. <laughs> and he was really, and I've met him a couple of times, sure. and he's such a nice person. But right. he was really adamant about not telling your kids you've done drugs. Yeah, Even if you're like, look, I did drugs. It didn't really work out. I didn't like it. It made me sick because he said, all kids hear is it's okay for me to do drugs. That's not what you're saying. But that is what they are hearing. You are giving them permission to use drugs. Now, I'm not here to defend that position. But what I think is interesting, you know, he's a psychologist. What I think is interesting about that, that's how I see even watching the show with your kids because the glamorization is so, I think, powerful. You might be saying, well, do you have any questions about this? Or, okay, this is not okay to do. But, ooh, let's see what happens next you know, episode. I don't know. I just, for me, it's, it's too risky for somebody else. Maybe not. Yeah. On the topic of censorship, uh, here's one of the quotes in the article, Madeline Gould, who's a professor at Columbia university and a youth suicide expert. She says, I'm not a proponent of censorship, but if there is a way to retrofit it, they should. The storyline and certain scenes would have to be changed considerably before it would be safe and responsible. Even if the series raised some awareness, the questions the creators need to ask is, at what price? You know, and that's where we're at with this. When I watched the first episode, I, you know, I was a teenager, I guess in the 80s, late 80s. Um, you know, the movies Say Anything, Pretty uh-huh. in Pink, um, 16 Candles. This, to me, had that feel. Right. You know, and when I think back about those movies, there is such a nostalgia. Yeah. And... You know, Breakfast Club and all of that <laughs> stuff. And I, I don't know, I, it, it has that kind of, what do you call that cool teenage movie? Yeah. Yeah, it's that thing of when you... Like, you're you know, cool even though you're not in the cool I want to be that person. I want to have that life. Anyway. Yeah, no, totally. And your revealing of those movie choices means you're definitely not just in your 30s. No, no I said 30 plus. <laughs> that's right, no, that's right. She saw him when she was six. So, coming up, uh, Shepherd Tone. You don't know what that is? I think it's a fascinating little thing. And it's light and it's not <laughs> heavy and it's not politics. Uh, as well as we're going to talk about this retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel who is kicking ass out in Kentucky. This is Jeff's work. Phone calls and photographs Songs from a better This is Jeff's World, where social, political, popular, and unpopular culture are seen through the eyes of possibility, purpose, and punchlines. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. And um, next I want to talk about uh, Dunkirk. I saw Dunkirk. 
I know you guys didn't see it yet, but um, I want to see it. <laughs> that counts for something. Uh, I won't uh, be Mr. Movie Review and bore you with the details, but I will. From you, you two are very Hollywood, so you'll understand this. The one thing that really makes it very different, and I've seen a lot of war movies. Obviously, I'm into World War II in particular. Is that this is the first World War II movie I've seen where, let's put it this way. Hollywood would have never approved the script if Christopher Nolan didn't already have a giant uh, resume because there's no love story. There's no character arc where you see somebody who started out the rough and tumble soldier who learns to get his, you know, whatever together. None of that. The character arc is just the British people, effectively, and just getting through it. It's very, it's very just situational, and that is uncommon. Uh, in movies, you can see for yourselves. Because I won't again, I won't bore you with the details of the, of the thing. But it is it is a great movie, and it is really well done. And if you also didn't know, in England, Dunkirk's kind of like nine eleven in the sense that you know we don't we talk about World War Two, we think of D Day, we think of Pearl Harbor, they think of Dunkirk because that was when three hundred and fifty plus thousand soldiers were saved by uh, not only the uh, navy but a flotilla of uh, twelve hundred some odd you know pleasure craft boaters from England and some from France and what have you. So a, a cool movie, but this is kind of a, a fun side tone. This is being in, being in radio, uh, I'm a bit of a sound geek, and I think you'll appreciate the, what we call the shepherd tone in this story. It's very cool. Wait a minute, hold on a second. Here we go. Hans Zimmer's score for Dunkirk starts with the sound of ticking. And that's a common theme in the legendary composer's work. You can hear it in Interstellar. Totally drives you crazy, by the way. And in Sherlock Holmes. But in Dunkirk, the ticking makes way for an overwhelming orchestra that seems like it's rising higher and higher, but never actually does. It's so tense, it makes you cling to your seat. That is because Zimmer is taking advantage of an auditory illusion caused by something called a shepherd tone. Do tell. It consists of several tones separated by an octave layered on top of each other. As the tones move up the scale, the highest pitch tone gets quieter, the middle pitch remains loud, and the lowest bass pitch starts to become audible. Because you can always hear at least two tones rising in pitch at the same time, your brain is tricked into perceiving a constant ascending tone. Loop it all together, and it sounds like a piano scale going on for infinity. Not trippy. When the transition between tones is continuous, it's called a shepherd reset glissando, and it can sound really spooky. It always sounds like it's going up. The top this can happen off. in the opposite direction too. <laughs> you can hear it in the endless stairs in Super Mario 64. And in Pink Floyd. It's like a barber's pole of sound, constantly seeming to rise without actually going anywhere. Put that in a soundtrack? And it creates the sound of rising tension that carries the screenplay forward. Christopher Nolan loves this illusion. You can hear it in the Bat Pod sound effect in the last two Dark Knight films. And in the music of The Prestige, composed by David Julian, 
So I just wanted to bring that up because I thought because everyone who saw Dunkirk, when you guys see it, you'll understand because it does. It people get, every comes comes out movie saying it feels like it just kept getting more intense, just kept getting more intense, and it does. It's a little weird little sound illusion that convinces you it's just it's higher and higher. So anyway, <laughs> go see it in theaters now. Dunkirk. All right. Uh, now the next story I want to tell about is, and I know uh, Hendrick has been following this, Amy McGrath. Are you following her? You right in Kentucky's 06. Mm-hmm. Um, she is running against Andy Barr, mm-hmm. who is redder than red Republican. He's Mitch's little boy. <laughs> he, he, is. Is. he is. He is. He's the, he is the hand-picked little successor troll of Mitch McConnell. <laughs> and he, he sounds voted. delightful. He, he does. Oh, he is. And of course, he is one of the Republican Congress people who voted for the uh, to, to, to end. At that time, it was twenty-four million Americans' health care plan. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that those are earlier incarnations, which were even worse than the ones they finally voted on the Senate. And so, Amy McGrath. And to give you a visual, because you first see her and you say. Well, she looks kind of butch or kind of gay, and I don't mean to say that mean, but she's kind of a she's a lady who is got short hair, uh, kind of military haircut, and in this society, we automatically like to judge it and go, oh, she's not wearing tons of makeup with long hair, so you must be kind of butch. But uh, just so you know, not that it matters. She is straight and has three kids, and uh, she's just like more. As, as Sabrina Matthews would say, it's just an unfortunate haircut. <laughs> Be that as it may, I, mean, I don't want to judge her by her Not haircut. But what I love about it is when you see her, you say, okay – this is a new wave of people coming up to run for office. These are not your standard uh, white males who are, you know, part of the old time establishment. So anyway, I want to play her ad. It's almost two minutes long, but it's it's uh, quite worth it because I think it's just showing where the electorate is going and where it's rising up. So when I was 12 years old, I knew exactly what I wanted to do when I grew up. I wanted to fly fighter jets and land on aircraft carriers because that's the toughest flying you can do. When I was 13, my congressman told me I couldn't fly in combat. He said Congress thought women ought to be protected and not allowed to serve in combat. I never got a letter back from my Senator Mitch McConnell. I then wrote every member of the House and Senate Armed Services Committees asking them to change the law. I said they just hadn't met me yet. And I knew I could do it, but most of them told me I couldn't. Then I got into the Naval Academy, and wouldn't you know, that's when they changed the law. I'm Amy McGrath, and I love our country. I spent 20 years as a U.S. Marine, flew 89 combat missions bombing Al-Qaeda and the Taliban. I was the first woman Marine to fly in an F-18 in combat, and I got to land on aircraft carriers. Now I'm running for Congress against Annie Barr in my home state of Kentucky. He's Mitch McConnell's hand-picked congressman who said he would vote enthusiastically to take health care away from over a quarter million Kentuckians. Mr. Barr, my mom is a polio survivor who became one of the first women to graduate from UK medical school. A lot of people told her she couldn't achieve her dreams either, but she persevered and ended up treating many of the same kind of people whose health care you and Mr. McConnell would take away. This is my new mission to take on a Congress full of career politicians who treat the people of Kentucky like they're disposable. Some are telling me a Democrat can't win that battle in Kentucky, that we can't take back our country for my kids and yours. We'll see about that. Yeah! (laughs) Where do I send the check? (laughs) Right? Whoa. Whoa. 
the, mean, the thing is that Lieutenant Colonel, retired Lieutenant Colonel. She's not like you know somebody just came in and got on a plane. First woman F eighteen pilot, eighty nine combat missions. Go ahead. I mean, it's a she's inspiring. She's accomplished so much against the odds. You know, I, there's so many parts to her story that a person can relate to. Like, particularly, she's told no, 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 and still goes to the Naval Academy. Yeah. And when she's there, the laws change. I mean, that's, I think, something that you really want to emphasize in this show. It's like, keep working toward what you want. Keep working toward, not just sit there and, and like, i stuck in... I can't, they won't, I'm stuck, you know? And it's like, okay, well, what's the next step? What's the next step? And then it happens. It's like the universe met her. I got a little spiritual there. But here, here's the thing that she's doing, um, which, you know, the Democrats have failed to do. She's telling her story. It's as simple as that. You tell a story so that people get to know you. Um, you establish a relationship before you get into policy. And the other thing is, I didn't see that. I can only hear it like our listeners. Um, she's talking about what she believes in yeah. and is passionate about. Yeah. You don't need coaching or twisting or the right catchphrase wor- words. Yeah. I, you know, I don't I just think that yeah, messaging becomes secondary to a true story. It, you're right. And so maybe exactly. there is some elements of messaging, but it becomes secondary exactly. because it's attached to what this person deeply believes. Yeah. And, you know, just to segue a little bit, I was thinking the other day, if I could talk to the people who are supporting Senate Bill 562, what I would want to say to them which is, is health care for all in California, which is yes. payer health care for mm-hmm. all in California. Which is, you know what, those who are blocking it, Rendon, Bauman, Brown, they are motivated to do so by money. And those of us who are working to accomplish expanded and improved Medicare for all in the state of California, we are motivated not by money, but by love and uh, passion and belief which is much more powerful it's like if you're if you're fighting a war and and you know the people who are defending their homeland against paid soldiers you want to be on the team that the people who are fighting you know for their people not for a paycheck because that's where the power comes in and and so that's what i heard in her with yeah. uh, her commercial amy mcgrath in kentucky's 6th district we will uh, keep you posted as her her campaign unfolds and she is one of many obviously hendrick has pointed out the the gentleman going against paul ryan in his own district who is a steel worker right randy bryce randy bryce this guy, too, who's same exact thing that Erica just pointed out. He has a story and he has a purpose. You know, he's coming. Both these folks are coming saying, wait a minute. There's a real need. It seems to be really obvious to me what the need is, which is, you know, expanding healthcare, being kinder, being nicer. And I'm going to go fill it. And I've given nobody. And I love that she said they said a Democrat can't win. Well, they've told me all kinds of can'ts, you know. Yeah. And here we go. And it's interesting, too, because it's not like. I, 
you know, I even necessarily agree probably with this person yeah, I don't on know everything. What her opinions but are. we'll see, we'll find out. You know, but policies. it's when somebody is standing in their truth, yeah. it creates a space to at least listen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least she's uh, uh, agreeing that healthcare should be extended to more people instead of less. And so I'm certainly on board with her with that. That's Amy McGrath. Okay. So coming up. What's new Kaepernick? And if you don't, if you're wondering why that's a thing, I don't know if you follow sports. If you don't follow sports, this has been an issue. I put an alert on my phone and it comes up constantly because there is no question he is the most uncolin Kaepernick is the most qualified unsigned NFL player in history. They still haven't hired him and they've hired turds in comparison rather than hiring him. And I think you know why, but there's a debate. Coming up, we're going to get into that right here on Jeff's World. The club isn't the best place to find a lover, so the bar is where I go. Mm-hmm. Me and my friends, I'm in love with the shape of you. Thank you for listening to Jeff's World. This is where we feelize our way to a better future if all goes well. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferriston and Jeff Hendrick, and we're talking about Colin Kaepernick. And the reason this matters is, I mean, it's football. People get traded. They don't get you know, go a free agent. He's a free agent, which means that uh, he was a free agent starting this year, which means any team can have him. He's, his contract had run out, and nobody team, no team wanted him. And then it got more and more ridiculous as the time went on because more and more players who had less talent were being picked up, and then somebody would get injured. Um, in fact, on the Dallas Cowboys, one of the most hilarious moments is they needed a third-string quarterback, which is hardly a demanding thing to have, especially for someone who's gone to the Super Bowl and gone to the championship at least twice. So the and the, the Dallas uh, leadership tried to say that they wouldn't hire Kaepernick because they were looking to build a quarterback uh, roster for the future and then they immediately hired a 38-year-old quarterback. <laughs> and so that became an obvious lie and similar to many of the lies that have been out there uh, as they've been trying to find a reason not to hire him. I guess you didn't hear that Jerry Jones also has demanded of every player that you will stand during the anthem. There is no kneeling and no yeah, sitting. Yeah. So that's actually really what Jerry Jones is saying. Bingo. Boy, toe my <laughs> line is what he's saying. And you will not have an opinion about race and you will not share that opinion while you are on this team because it is my team and I'm an old, rich, white man. Yeah, there's uh, there's lots there of that. So <laughs> there's the uncensored one. That's right. That's exactly it. You know, and, and I would I, nobody wants to say. I would argue that Colin Kaepernick, in his short career, has done more philanthropic work than <laughs> Jerry Jones will do in nine lifetimes. I am agree with there. So okay, the, the the clip that was running around Facebook is he is overjoyed that he has negotiated a C one thirty plane from the government of Turkey to haul sixty thousand tons of food and water to Somalia. Yeah. He was excited about that. He's like, hey, I'm feeding people. And I just, I, I find it amazing what he's going through. He's That's done all. more for inner city youth and this sort of thing, too. I mean, this guy is, he's a man he who walks, walks the walk. He absolutely walks He's walking it. the walk. And you yeah. may not have liked his protest. How, how old is he? 26. 28, 27, 28. And that's considered kind of old? Really. No. You can no. play into your 30s. But that's what they were implying when they said we're trying to build a no, they were, yeah, they were quarterback to... for the future like he's too old and then they got somebody right. a decade was... older. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That was how ridiculous the Jerry Jones lie was, and, he and let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's go ahead and go down the roster of who else has a job in the NFL. Uh, Michael Vick has a job in the NFL. <laughs> Former convicted felon for dog fighting. Uh, I believe Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, will have a job this year. Um, 
There's two others who had assault charges and, sure. and domestic abuse charges. So There's you can beat your wife, you yeah. can drink, you can drive, you can crash into things, you can be accessory to murder, you can torture dogs, yeah. but you can't stand up or rather kneel down and have an opinion in the NFL. To draw attention to ju- injustice. So, But look at our leader at the top, Trump, right? He's condoning and uh, you know advocating this kind of... No, he's a, he's, behavior, yeah. this kind of retribution, which isn't supposed to take place in America. Yeah. You're not supposed to have a, a political test for employment or a religious test or. Yeah. Let's uh, let me play. In fact, let me play the Trump please. He went in front of the Long Beach, Suffolk County or Suffolk Police Department. And uh, Donald Trump said this. You probably heard the headlines, but in case you missed it, here it is. You see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon. You just see them thrown in rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody. Don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? Ha, 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 ha. Now, you get a little cheer. I left that in there. Uh, And immediately the police department... You know, said that that was unacceptable. They disagreed. They did not. We, we have we have Andrew Don Clay as our president now. Yeah. yeah. Not Dice. Right. Andrew Don Clay is now yeah. our president. Pow! Right in the face. Yeah. Hickory dickory dock. Right. Yeah. Um, What's that's... that joke? You know, any guy that that, that, that slaps a woman's a, is a wimp. Hit her with a closed fist. You know, and you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Right, so the acting director of the Drug Enforcement Administration, Chuck Rosenberg, uh, came out and condemned yep. uh, what Trump had to say. And he said, quote, um, you know, he was telling his staff members not to follow Trump's directive to be rough with suspects when putting them into paddy wagons. Yeah. He also wrote that he was speaking out against Trump's comments because, quote, we have an obligation to speak out when something is wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's what law enforcement officers do. That's what we do. We fix stuff. At least we try, says Rosenberg. Head of the DEA. Head of Trump's DEA. Right. Um, which is pretty amazing. And it seems... It got talked about a little bit, really got glossed over. The paddy wagon itself is an offensive term. It's Irish. It's, yeah, it's, it was, it's, because it's, when the Irish immigrants were treated like Mexican immigrants, are now, or Chinese, Chinese immigrants, immigrants or, all the different immigrants that right. were treated poorly, paddy, like St. Patty's Day, yeah. and you fill them with patties. Yeah. You fill them with a bunch of Irish people because we don't want these Irish immigrants, and we know they're all a bunch of hooligans. Yeah, so we throw them in the paddy wagon. That's I did right. not know that. Yeah, isn't that yeah. funny? That was a uh, term to... And here, here's, for instance, here's uh, Police Chief Cedric Alexander, who also weighed in on Trump's comments. He's uh, in, uh, let's see, DeKalb County, Georgia. So that gives you an idea where he's come from, but here's what he said about it. So Let me say this. Look, the remarks we heard yesterday from the president are very disturbing to all of us in the law enforcement community and across this country. We have been working for years, a large number of years, great number of years to improve relationships, and certainly in the most recent years we have been. When you have the the highest office in the land, make a comment to the fact, uh, give inference to that brutality is okay, you're not going to find a city leader or police executive anywhere in this country who's going to support that. Yeah. 
You know, and that was pretty universal. Obviously, not every single police chief uh, necessarily made a statement, but it was such a wave of statements and apologies for what the president said. We do not condone force. Here's and that's where I, I get excited, though. That's what I'm encouraging. Right. Let me float this by you. If Donald J. Trump was not the president of the United States and he said these things, would we think he was nuts? Would we think he was, like, clinically insane? Because mm-hmm. there is now the— uh, It does raise the specter of it insanity. It does. And— yeah. There is a group of psychologists that have now, and I think we've talked about this on previous shows, they have suspended the Goldwater Rule, named after Barry Goldwater, and they are in abstentio, like without the patient being in the room, they have made the clinical diagnosis that the President of the United States, the current sitting President of the United States, is bonkers. Yeah. I mean, clinically, out of his tree. Yeah. And that's terrifying to me. Because everybody else who's apologizing for him... You're kind of crazy, too, by association. You'd have to be to look at his behavior and but think... You know, it's really... Cr- I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, but it's... it's we wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get away with this. No. I wouldn't be able to get away with this. We would be the crazy drunk guy at the end of the bar spouting nonsense. I couldn't agree more. When except you that live, I would... though, in a fascist state, you have a Mussolini. Yeah. And yeah. they get away with and it. And they get away with yeah. it. And that's kind of where we are. I mean, there was a, an article that came out of the UK Guardian that has positing this theory that the United States is no longer a developed nation. <laughs> that we are, in fact, an undeveloped nation, that we have a very high ruling class, and then a good 60% of us now live below the poverty line. Well, and I mean, this goes off into a little bit of a tangent, and I wish that I had, uh, I wish I had the article in front of me, no. because I don't remember everything, but I feel like this is kind of the government, you know, manifestation of the insanity of, uh, you know, um, capitalism. Uh, Because if you you look at capitalism, so right now, and I think it was Harvard who did a study, again, I don't have it in front of me, I'll have to pull it up for the next show, but where they talked about, we may have a vote, but this isn't a democracy. No, God our, hasn't been. Our Never electeds was. are Never not was. representing the Never people. Yeah. They're representing uh, the the well. They're sponsors. The corporations. If you will. Yeah. They're sponsors. Yeah. And and uh, capitalism. If you start to dissect it and look at it, it's insane, and it makes <laughs> sane people do insane things. There was an article. I was listening to this economist, Richard Wolf. And there was an article in, you know, one of the major newspapers. I mean, this goes back way early in the summer. So let's say it was in New York Times or something like that. But there were these Nike shoes, large garbage bags, you know, hundreds of garbage bags behind a store with these Nike shoes that had been slashed. And it was so odd, like, you know, that somebody, you know, found this story and, and wrote wrote uh, or found the shoes and wrote the story. Anyway, turns out that they didn't it, because they weren't selling, they didn't want them on the market at all, not to be given cuz somebody was like we could give these away to homeless people, no, we could give these away the to price. but it would affect right, the price so of their them. shoes so they destroyed them. Now, if you look at that <laughs> only in capitalism. <laughs> if you look at that kind of I'm we'll link it back to what you were saying earlier. To have, you know, hundreds of pairs of shoes and to have hundreds of homeless people that need shoes 
to cut them up or destroy them, to throw them away, that is an act of insanity. Mm-hmm. So you have a CEO pr- who probably isn't insane, but is, you know... No, Phil, Knight, Phil Knight's okay. a bit of a bastard. Right. But <laughs> but, you, but you have these people, right? The oh, yeah. Bastard. No, really? He built the city of Eugene, basically. I'll tell you. Though. Yeah, he built, That's fine. I mean, he built the city of Eugene. Extremely generous there. And he made he the extre- Oregon ducks on the, on the, on the map. Fine. But another story. Sorry, fine. we digress. Right. But you even have people... But you've got a sweatshop labor system that fuels your that empire Phil that's that you so will guilt not, money he will <laughs> not go visit Michael Moore offered he said I will I will fly you there I've got a ticket for you and he showed him the ticket and Phil Knight was like yeah I got to go to this tennis tournament in New York and I don't have time he's never visited the factories where he makes they make Nikes no that's un- that's unthinkable why would he why but would he why would he because it would it just it would it would validate everything that Vink has been critical of him. You're using slave labor to make these shoes, and then you sell them, you know, to inner city kids for 175 bucks a pop, and then they kill each other over them. You're so, part of the problem, Phil. So you've, you've uh, <laughs> so I follow you've shined, you've, you've dangled the shiny object of Nike in front of the two Jeffs here, and yes. gone off. But no, the point is, is capitalism. And, and this is this is you're absolutely right, and, and that needs to be told. So that's a bad example for this. But the point <laughs> is, he might. But but the point is, even among people that aren't Phil Knight. When you are operating under the auspices of capitalism, it makes, not him, but otherwise somewhat sane people do insane things like destroy products that could be of use, that could be of Mm -hmm. service so that your profits stay. That's insane. And so when you you have, so, so Trump is supported, right, by Phil Knights and these people, and it's kind of the same thing, but- now on this level of government. Right. So you've got shoes that are being destroyed. I'll go you one better. We've got an FDA that'll approve oxycodone for kids as young as 11. Right, exactly. Despite all of the nasty stuff that's going to happen to those poor kids. Well, I, I do want to back up one second and just all say, right. just to weigh in on the idea of capitalism in general, uh, I tend to believe, and you guys can disagree with me, that I think we should have a diversity of isms. I just think that in the case of this country, capitalism has become so prevailing that, as I've said before in previous shows, we have come to believe as a populace that money and influence are the measures of human worth you know and we've just raised right. that so high that we're willing to destroy a bunch of nikes uh, sell a bunch of oxycodone or even enslave a bunch of people yeah. and even the Koch brothers if for those in the room no fans of the room or the Koch brothers in this room nope. even they object to the idea of like certain subsidies which would put, prop up an industry which makes no sense the only reason they to- object to those subsidies to prop up other industries is because they are the big dog themselves the big dog. and they don't want other uh, industries having any advantages because they know their top dog so without those other industries getting they're fine to lose their subsidies because they will remain top dog so this is not some generous <laughs> no. uh we should all be fair. This no, is a, we're winning. We're on top. Squelch it out. Yeah, it's a business strategy. It's not altruism. No. Uh, and let's remember that originally corporations were a finite entity. Okay, back in the day, four, five, six hundred years ago, you formed a corporation in order to do something. We're going to go to this other land. Instead gonna, of to controlling everything, you right. have to do one. So like, because like, you needed a collective power to complete a task. Not only yeah, the exactly. collective power, but you needed the collective money to get it done as well. So you would say, all right, I'm going to form the East India Corporation. We're going to go to Jamaica. We're going to get a ton of breadfruit plants, and we're going to come back to England with them. And once you completed that mission, that corporation died. It was dissolved. It was done because you had accomplished the mission you set out to do. 
And now we have corporations that sole purpose is to exist. And that's where it gets scary because then they will do, as you said, Erica, anything (laughs) to remain where they are. And where I think capitalism has been successful in this country, and again, I'm not an economist and, you know, I could be, uh, you know, talking about, you know, go socialism in the next in the right. next segment, but is heavily regulated capitalism. And oh, no, that's no. what you're seeing destroyed oh, no, no. is regulations. Well, they're bad. They're bad. Regulations are bad. Don't you right. know? They're, they're, consumer protections oh, no, 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 are no, no, bad for no, their no. bottom line. Oh, who cares? Drinking water that's clean. Overrated. Clean overrated. air. Overrated. Yep. You're going to cut into my profits. Exactly. <laughs> wow. I love the tangents that happen here on Jeff's World. And uh, coming up... Uh, I want. I do want to go back to the Colin Kaepernick for just one wrap up yeah. uh, because uh, Steve Bishotti, the owner of the Ravens, the Baltimore Ravens, had an opportunity to take on Colin Kaepernick, and he had a discussion in front of some reporters. And I want to get your two's take on it because I'm not sure if he which which direction he went with it. It's a very interesting question. So this is coming up on Jeff's World. I got this feeling inside my bones. It goes electric, wavy when I turn. This is Jeff's World, the place where we try to find a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And because, you know, life is about how it feels, ultimately. Right. Consider this your big audio Snickers bar. That's right. Turn you from Joe Pesci into... We're we're here to satisfy. We're here to help. That's a great one. Here are some crunchy crunchy peanuts and nougat. Some goodness. Some goodness. And you won't even gain... An ounce right, of weight. Exactly. Right. Guilt free. This is guilt free. Yes. <laughs> We're zero it. calorie radio. Mm. <laughs> now, that was Jeff Hendrick along with Erica Ferris, and I'm Jeff Stein. Now, if only we could get guilt free on this whole discussion of Colin Kaepernick. And, and, and I, I want to play this Steve Bishotti. This is the owner. It's a little bit of a long clip, but I think it's important of the of the Baltimore Ravens when asked a question, obviously about because uh, what happens is, is Flacco, their main quarterback, who was taken to the Super Bowl, got hurt, and they need a backup. That's what we knew was going to happen. And Colin Kaepernick is by far, by many leaps and bounds, the best available player that isn't currently signed, and that led to this uh, little discussion. So. How do you think about? growing your brand and potentially hurting your brand by bringing in a Kaepernick, right? I know we want to win, but what's the difference between, you know, your, your willingness and want brand. to win, yeah. um, but by potentially damaging your brand by bringing in Kaepernick? Um, we are, we are uh, you know, very sensitive to it. We're, we're, we're certainly, and uh, man, we've, we've talked to a lot of our current players and a lot of our uh, uh, former players uh, I was speaking to Ray Lewis this morning. Um, you know, Collins made some assurances, I think, through his intermediaries that there would be no protesting, that he would be standing in the uh, uh, for the Pledge of Allegiance. And Pledge of Allegiance, yeah. Quantify hurting the brand. I know that we're going to upset some people, and I know that we're going to... Um, Make people happy that we that we stood up for somebody that has the right to do what he what he did. You know, so far so good. I like this, right? I mean, he's talking both sides, right? Sort of. Nonviolent protesting is something that we've all embraced. Right. Personally, I kind of liked it a lot when he went from sitting to kneeling. Me too. I, I don't know. I'm I'm Catholic. We 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 spent a lot of time kneeling. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, you know, when I saw him develop last year and went from sitting to kneeling next to his teammates, 
uh, that I liked that. I just thought, okay, if he's still, if it's still a silent protest, I still think it. I still think that the level of disrespect is strong that way. So all, all I would ask is to just, you know, talk to your neighbors and, and your friends and your coworkers to, because I think you'll just get the same sense that I got is that. Wow, every time I hear something negative, I hear something positive, and it, sometimes it shocks me who it's coming from. So um, we'll, I, I, hope we do what is, I hope we do what is best for the team and balance that what's best for our fans, and your opinions matter to us, and, and you couldn't get a consensus in here either. So, you know, when I fired John, uh, when I fired uh, 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 Billick nine years ago, uh, it sounded like half Coach. the. It sounded like ninety percent of the people in Baltimore wanted me to fire him until I fired him, and then I found that eighty percent <laughs> thought I was an idiot. <laughs> so you got to be careful about the vocal minority. They have a tendency to seem to you know sound, be a bigger group than they are. So I, I, I'm, I'm I, we're very sensitive to it, Listen and to we're monitoring part. it, and we're 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 still as Ozzy says, scrimmaging it, and we're trying to figure out what's. Uh, what's the right tact, and and so um, pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Uh, that it, one set off the poor sport pages when he said that. Wasn't Ray Lewis connected to a murder? Yeah, Ray Lewis is okay. He's a Just reformed curious. criminal, basically, and then he took him to the Super Bowl, and everything was fine. Right. Uh, yeah, I guess you can be an NFL player. You just can't have an opinion that is contrary to the white owners. There's, let me read this quote from a, a sports writer. I just think he was, because he I caught mean, on that prey line and really responded. He says, and now it appears that whether Colin Kaepernick gets a job in the NFL might just come down to whether or not billionaire Steve Bishotti prays to the God of Donald Trump and the Republican Party or the God of the Gospels. It's If it's Trump's God, we already know the answer. Trump has already spoken very clearly about his disdain for Colin Kaepernick and his love of police brutality. If Trump's God feels the same way, then surely he'll tell the Ravens owner to shun Kaepernick. That would be absolutely the white conservative christian thing to do here's the other thing where is it that his kneeling is any disrespect to anyone i, know. I don't i cannot for the life of me connect those two dots people get that so his sad. his constitutionally protected right of free speech by the first amendment is somehow offensive to americans how is that possible he could not be doing anything more american than voicing his opinion I was not taking other people's hands off of their chest. Thank you. You know, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I, I was at a Politicon uh, over the weekend, um, which, and I was in a room listening. How do you say your name? Tommy? Yeah, no, Tony La- Tommy, Tommy Lauren. Tommy Tommy. Laren. Tommy Laren. Tommy Yeah, Laren. the blonde from the blaze who's now oh, not yeah, the blaze. that human stain. <laughs> and it was, you Jesus. know. Not a fan, Jeff? <laughs> Was filled with. I'd rather uh, I'd rather drink a molten hot liquid glass. Sorry, go ahead, Erica. It was sorry, filled Erica. with Trump supporter Tom, uh, Tommy. Oh yeah, Tommy Lahren. And she oh, threw yeah. out Colin Kaepernick's name, and the booing was just right. uh, deafening. But you know, not that Colin Kaepernick listens to this show, but I know that all of us here just uh, he inspires courage within me. 
I am, yeah. you know, honored to share the same planet with him. And, and you know, as you've talked about before, the, the um, going from the sitting to the kneeling was after he spoke with, you know, a people member, in yeah. the oh, service yeah. to yeah. find a respectful way to still voice his dissent. And, you know, I think that you, Stein, of all people, here's a person that wants to... Uh, stand in dissent, not for dissent's sake, but for something that they believe in. And they're trying to find the most respectful way to do that. And it's disheartening, you know, seeing how the the people with money and the jobs are responding. But it's heartening to watch Colin Kaepernick uh, still have his principles and still stay in them. And the other thing I want to say is, you know what? Maybe this is a blessing in disguise for Kaepernick. Maybe, yeah. uh, you know, these fools' refusal to hire somebody as talented, which, by the way, you want to talk about brand image? Yeah, keep hiring people that can't do the job and as you lose game after game because <laughs> you don't have point. a talented <laughs> quarterback. Win games. I mean, games. clearly you're a fool. But yeah. anyway. Yeah. And this is from non sports Erica. <laughs> I know, right? But if he you're, takes you to the Super Bowl, then that's brand image. Right. <laughs> you're, yeah, you're absolutely spot on about that. That's absolutely a great observation. What the hell is your brand about anyway if you're losing? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. On. But And here's what could be the blessing in disguise. Okay. A neuropathologist has examined the brains of 111 NFL players and 110 were found to have CTE, the degenerative disease yeah. linked to repeated blows to the head. Dang. So maybe, Just maybe. Colin Kaepernick <laughs> is actually being protected <laughs> by racism <laughs> by these fools not hiring this talented man wow. and um, his brain will will continue uh, to be functioning so he got he got yeah he got a guarantee of double digit millions so he's financially he's okay and okay. in a way I want him to walk away from football and just be a full-time kick-ass philanthropist because my god God, does that guy get some stuff done? Now he'll be back. I know he will. And uh, well, he's now. It's just this is a weird thing. The, the, the people that hate him, right? I think for them, for them to have their pound of flesh, their whatever the term is, their enough punishment is that the NFL starts on day one without him. And then, and yeah, and you then we talked like, about this. And then, you like, start the season without him. Day two, you don't care. Day two, you don't care. Okay. Yeah. Here's the thing that I've always wanted to say about Kaepernick, mm. and it's the Niners coaching staff that I think really screwed him. In his career, because he came into the Niners as a run and gun monster. Yeah, run and gun he, West Coast. He, West Coast offense. You're not staying. It's not traditional. You're not in the pocket. You're not hanging out waiting to pass. This guy runs like a fiend. No one can really tackle him without two or three helpers. And then he can throw the ball as well. Yeah. Totally just hard as hell to defend that kind of guy. He's big and strong. And then he can throw if you're going to get close to tackling him. And the Niners, his second year, decided to take all of that away and make him a pocket passer, which he had never done in his career. And he failed at it. Yeah, don't get me started on Niner coaching errors. Why, right. why would so, they do that? I don't understand. It was a, it was a calculated error. They, yeah. they goofed it. They, it was a strategic a bad, choice that was that was bad. That's why the coaches are gone. We went through three coaches in five seasons or something. Right. And this is why. Because they, they couldn't get it right. And, and Kaepernick Just let him, only... let him do what he does best. Yeah, you My should know how God. to play your players. Right. Because like, no one tries to make Cam Newton stick in the pocket. 
And he's yeah. the same kind of guy. He's yeah. a big, huge, fast, strong kid who's got a cannon for a right and arm. And no one tried to make Peyton Manning run. Right. You know, it's, or, exactly. or, Jay, or, or, or Brady. No one tries to make Tom Brady run. Right. Because he doesn't. Because he doesn't do it well he, enough. It looks like he's skipping to go get some, do shopping. La, la, anyway, la, la, so, la, la, okay, enough about that. <laughs> we didn't get to, but there's one but thing I, I do. And, I, right. just, I just wanted to make that point yeah, about why why Kepernick had such a rough time in San Francisco being a quarterback there. Because I, yeah. I don't think it was his fault. And I want to go one more layer to this story because this is, again, we have to work out this racial tension. And it does come back to police brutality, how black folks are seeing the world versus how the, you know people, the white folks, whatever you want to say. And the other part of the argument, there's this discussion of, is Ka- Kaepernick too controversial to play? But the other part is amongst, and you're going to play this little clip from Shannon Sharp and Ray Lewis, both obviously football legends, arguing about, is it the fault of the black community? Because there's a discussion within black folks of like, well, we're, we've are we got a serious violence problem on the streets and there's police brutality. How much is our fault? How much is the police's fault? And so I want to give you a little taste of that. And this is what's been blowing up on sports pages in a very political social way. So. Steve Bishotti on that team. Mm-hmm. And in 2015, you were there. You and I talked about it. Something happened to Freddie Gray. Mm-hmm. He that. lost his life for police brutality. Mm-hmm. I have yet to hear an owner talk about that. I have yet to hear Steve Bishotti talk about that. I know, but, but I, I know, but, but, but so, so let's be very careful with that for this simple reason. Right now, there's over 200 plus murders in Baltimore. How many people you got talking about that? Nobody. So, so I'm, I'm, so I'm just saying before you put somebody in a pickle to say, no, no, I'm not putting him in a pickle. Right. right I'm talking. Okay. Let me ask you this. When, when Pookie shoots a, a, a Willie, they find Pookie. Where Pookie going? He going to jail. Mm-hmm. When these police shoot these unarmed black men and women, yeah. even on camera, mm-hmm. where they going, Ray? Back on the force. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about the police brutality. See, what what you tro- what they're trying to do is that when we talk about police brutality, they talk about Chicago, they talk about Detroit, they talk about Baltimore. Okay. Right. right. You want me to come up with a solution that you help put me in. I 100% understand what you're saying. Do and you, what Ray? I'm trying to tell you is there's no issue with what you're talking about with police brutality. And me and you, as men, what? ourselves, not watch nobody else deal with police brutality. I lived it. It ain't too many people going to stand up to go into black neighborhoods and worry about black folks killing themselves. That's factual. So sooner or later, then we figure that out, then we're going to start taking care of ourselves. So when I started to, int- to, to, start to understand these things, Shay, what I started to understand was that ain't, that ain't Steve Bashadi's fight what happened to Freddie Gray. That ain't no owner's fight. Yes, it is, though, right? If it is, if it is, this is America. If it is, if it is, then all of our owners should get together and go in these urban neighborhoods and clean it up. Why wouldn't you? Because, Ray, they don't care because it's an issue they're never going to have to face. It's people like you and I that's that's been there and know people that's faced these issues. You talking about Steve Bashotti is never going to have to worry about the police beating him or a family member down. Jerry Jones, Mr. Kraft, they never going to have to worry about that. That's what I just said. So why should they care? They should care because it's the United States of America. You care about what's going on in Ukraine. You care about what's going on in Venezuela. How many times before (laughs) any of these things came up? Before you was playing, after you playing, how many times it happened? But they pretended like no, no. Can't. Just just ask her how many times did it happen? It was going on a lot, but the advent but of see, social but media. See, I don't, so, we keep. We, we, oh, I don't man, want to go back and forth. It's keep out for a substantial yeah. amount of time. 
Do you have more trust in Ryan Mallet or Colin Kaepernick? Those are the questions. Forget if you if you want to say put all this other stuff aside. Let's just put this. In, I'm gonna put this in a nice little meat box. Yeah. I, uh, Who are those two that's, guys? Uh, Shannon Sharp and, and and Ray Lewis. Now Ray Lewis was again. He took the Ravens. He was he retired in the year that they won the Super Bowl, and he had the controversial story because he was basically a criminal who was kind of reformed but not reformed. There's a lot of controversy that he shouldn't have been on the field. A lot of people said this guy should not be on the field. He's a criminal. Yeah, there's a lot of people who said that Ray Ray Lewis should have been in jail, but instead I'm, of on the field. Yeah. But, but as you know, I'm a man who supports evolution and repentment, repenting, and and he seemed to. But his argument has been for a while to put this heavy emphasis on black folks need to get their stuff together. And he's Shannon Sharp, who's also equally uh, has as much accolades in football, is making, the, as you heard, making the point, huh, what? I, How can you? This is like be- blaming the rape victim because she was wearing a skirt. Yeah, it's kind of like was that. Asking There's a lot of it. that. But what I, I just have to, I just have to say, bravo, Shannon Sharp. I, uh, Me too. He has been a loudmouth and a, and a goof yeah. a lot. A lot of goof. Man, but... This is very real. You care about Ukraine? You care about Venezuela? Brilliant. Yeah, That's no. a brilliant point. It's a brilliant point. You're and an American. You should care about people. It's, it's I. A, now, what team did Shannon Sharp play uh, for? The Denver Broncos. Denver, well, Denver, well then uh, I will go get one of those jerseys. <laughs> He's out now. But yeah. <laughs> I have a Colin Kaepernick yeah. one. <laughs> you have to let me know which new okay. team he goes on. So I, but All right. on this, uh, you know, on this discussion... Um, Philandro Castile's cousin yeah. is uh, facing 10 years in prison for, what? for protesting Castile's killing. Oh, jeez. Well, how did, was he shooting people while he was protesting? No, no. He, um, <sighs> he is fighting trumped up charges after he protested his cousin's death. Um, he participated in a demonstration on Interstate 94 in the days following the uh, murdering hey, of man. his cousin by Officer Geronimo Yanez. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. He's been charged with like some kind of like uh, felony to riot. Disorderly. Yeah, cause you, you, can, you can cross him over into terrorism charges very easily. That's one of the things that led... That That's what's terrifying me about what's going on with this current administration. They are making the First Amendment... The Actually, they're making the exercising of your First Amendment rights a felony now. Right. So he's been charged with two felony riot uh, charges uh, from his participating in this demonstration um, for his cousin's uh, murder. death. Murder. Yeah. It wasn't death, Erica. That he's was lost his job. Yeah. He's lost his home. He's lost his car. His life is being ruined. And that's... You know, when the one guy says, well, there's a lot of people that are murdered in Baltimore. No, 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 no. This is different. This is a systematic, oh, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, misjustice. shooting of people, killing people, uh, incarcerating people based on the color of their skin. This is, and, and yeah. you know, and then there, and then people who protest this are <laughs> being charged with felonies it's ridiculous i want it there's a movie out right now called detroit directed by Catherine bigelow yeah oh. um i encourage everyone to go see it yeah. the thing uh, the reason that these people as well as be- the 13th by the way we keep saying that but see the right. 13th the documentary you'll get a better understanding the reason these people are being charged with felonies also erica is that we have started doing business with for-profit prisons at the federal level again so uh 
both Jeff Sessions and Donald J. Trump were heavily, heavily funded uh, by a company called GEO, which is one of the largest for-profit prison companies in this country. So coming up, former uh, neurosurgeon and current HUD secretary and also uh, part-time narcoleptic Ben Carson has made a... <laughs> I'm sorry, there's someone mentioned my name. I was snapping. He has upset some conservatives in, in, a, in a topic very similar to what we're talking about. That is coming up on Jeff's work. I don't want to know, no, no, no. Who's taking you home, oh, oh, oh. This is Jeff's World, the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way of life. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. We're a, a room full of white folks talking about black racial issues, which is, uh, you know, obviously that becomes weird, and I can't help but feeling a little weird about it. But that, I think, is the lesson itself. Um, why should we feel? Why should anyone feel weird standing up for another human being? Exactly. Is that? Thank you. you just made the point. Okay. Is that because <laughs> when, when you feel the weirdness come up? Okay. Right. Of course, it feels weird because it's a high tension subject. Right. And when I was talking to, I was in a room full of white folks. Uh, I won't mention their political persuasions or anything. It wasn't relevant. And we were talking about Colin Kaepernick, and and they say, well, you know, you you piss off half the country uh, by kneeling. Uh, during the the, the pledge or the pledge, so like Mr. Shadi said, going to take the, issue the, uh, with half the country. Damn right, so, I yeah. am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's not half the country. Yeah, yes, that is that is correct. Second of all, bunches of veterans groups back him on this protest. Yeah, it wasn't even close <laughs> to half the country. Yeah. You could maybe even begin to argue half of football fans because it is tends to be more blue collar conservative ish. But I don't think that's true either. Right. I don't think that's even empirically true. But anyway, evidence aside of half the thing, and I, I kept going so. This grudge still holds, which is the why this is still a discussion, and is why is it still holding? And, it, and the only thing I could come up with, and please, if somebody's listening and you want to tell me on Facebook otherwise, um, is that they perceive Colin Kaepernick as attacking policemen. That it has to be one or the other, right? That right. either you are, you know, you know, that's it, one or the other. And so, if you're, if you're for looking at the justice system and these wrongful deaths of black folks, then you automatically are anti-police. No, and that just I'm anti-bad cop. Yeah, and we should all be <laughs> anti-bad anything. Right? Anti-bad authority figure. Period. Yeah, yeah. as well as anti-bad street thug, um, and be able to know the difference. Well, I think you're right, and I think that's you know part of the discussion. I hope that is coming Seems out of this. You know, this is not a. Um, black or white? Yeah, you know, one side or the other. No, it's human. It's, human versus non-human. In my book, you know, right? And this yeah. very simplistic way of thinking. Well, if you for this, you against this. No, like yeah. we saw Bush do that, right? Yeah. You know, with like Are you with me, you're the terrorist, and it's like uh, neither, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm taking a third party that doesn't have guns, uh, right? <laughs> you know, and um. So, yeah. And then also, too, to your comment, we're three white people talking about issues of race. You know what? It is uncomfortable. And that's all right. You know, it's been uncomfortable for about 150 years and it's got 200, 200 plus years here. So, right. And it's it should be uncomfortable. It's an uncomfortable topic. It's a horrible topic. It should feel uncomfortable until it's gone. And I appreciate that we are willing to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And well, have that, you that's know. That's how it happens, is my have point. This you, you both just made my point, which is, yeah, is is recognize the discomfort, recognize it in yourself, right. and ask yourself why. What are you afraid of? And, and Am I, well, I think I think the, the question that comes up when you ask it, or the answer, is you're, we're afraid, am I a part of the problem? 
And yeah. I think that's where some of the discomfort comes from for every every person who's not a person of color. Every white person goes, God, the reason I'm so freaked out about this is I have to check my personal history and have I been a part of the problem? Yeah. And just trying not to be every day. And I think that being unaware of things like white privilege and, you know, look, I, I can only know what a person with a black body experiences with my head. Right. I can't, I don't have those same experiences, but I, I can listen and I can know on an intellectual level. And you can, em- can and you can empathize. I can right. empathize to a certain point, right. but clearly, you know, I, I don't have, you know, that experience, but, um, but this is, you know, this is what helps people make change. And also the reason why, you know, white people need to be a part of this is because whatever you have, um, back in the days of the suffragettes, women could not have won the right to vote without the man. Yeah. We needed men yeah. because men were Passed in the, the positions, right. Right. you know, That's to right. pass that law. So, you know, we races, we need each other. No, we humans need each other. Exactly. There's there's only one right. race, and it's the human race. Yeah. We, we sexes, we genders, so, we yeah, whatever, yeah, sexual things, we, we humans. need each other. Need each other. Yeah. And it's not to be things, you know, really can't be one in an isolated level and not to say this is also I think like we as white people have to be careful of is you know having these discussions and being uncomfortable but not being like well I'm the great white knight that's gonna save you that's disrespectful right and that's BS and it's like but just being a cog in the wheel being a part of it well what does Stein always say be a helper. Yeah. Be a helper. <laughs> Be a helper in this situation. And if, and if it doesn't feel like it, then then trust your instincts that, that you're not helping. Right. You're yeah. not helping. <laughs> you know, find a, find something that does feel like you're helping. Right. So, Ask. That's yeah. the other thing. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. You know, if you don't have the same relevant experience, if you don't have the same commonality, ask. Yeah. Go ahead. Instead of rushing to victimhood. Right. Just what's going on? How can I help? Do you need a hug? I mean, basic, simple questions. <laughs> can yeah. I help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How can I help? How can I help? How can I help? That's a great book, t- by the way, by Ram Das. How can I help? Ooh, you would love it. I probably would. Yeah. There you go. Pick it up. Pick up a copy of y'all. There we go. Um, and now, again, to Ben Carson, who is doing uh, his own uh. little help. Now, you won't find a lot of fans of Ben Carson in this room. Uh, for which, pol- for policy purposes, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Which is unfortunate because I'm a very nice man. And you do an excellent impersonation. <laughs> what is your? How do you construct your impersonation again? Well, I take uh, <laughs> basically Michael Jackson's voice and I drop it a little bit in the register, and then I back off about 15 cc's of propofol, <laughs> and and bingo, Ben Carson comes ben out of my Carson. mouth. That's so good. So up, up here you, is where Michael was, and down here is where Ben is, but they still have that same I'm really high sing song <laughs> thing going. He's, he's not a practicing surgeon right now, is he? Oh, I don't need to he's practice. He's too busy being I'm the HUD good. secretary, I hope. I hope he's too busy. I was wondering if he did John McCain's brain I, surgery. I, Yikes. Yeah. Well, hmm. well, if he had everybody else's insurance, John McCain would have to do get a solid from him. But uh, he Ouch. has his own insurance, so it worked out. So he got to go to the Mayo Clinic. So Ben Carson is pissing off conservatives, and the reason why is because uh, back in the, during the Obama administration, 
HUD, by the way, if you don't know about HUD, Housing and Urban Development, is probably one of the most important federal government agencies for helping people not only uh, of color and disadvantage to get uh, to, to be protected in their housing situations, not being discriminated against, not like some Donald Trump saying, I'm not going to hire, uh, you know, rent to you because you're black. It takes care of those things. But way more important is the $3 billion of annual community development block grants that uh, and other funding that helps people, first-time home buyers of, of many races. It's not even remotely a racial thing. It just helps people a lot. Now, uh, that's the background. There's a There's a part of it called the Affirmatively Furthering Fair Housing Rule, which, ah, was, which was put in ah, by Julian Castro and I, uh Now, and you know me. I'm always suspect of anything that sounds nice like that. Because right, right. Wasn't it the clean, be. Wait, wasn't the Clean Air and Water Act how well, they ripped out all the regulations? Yes. This one, this one, this one, this rule requires the 1,200 cities and counties, which would get the $3 billion of annual community development block grants from the agency, to examine their local housing patterns for racial bias and to design a plan to address any measurable bias. This has been around. Obama, you know, beefed it up under his administration, of course, and is trying to make sure that they don't we don't just create a bunch of segregated communities or folks of color don't get worse loans. Because remember, during the whole housing crisis, how about was, worse public schools? Right, exactly. Public. That's another part of it to make sure that you're not getting sure. shortchanged on the same infrastructure and services. Lack of a water housing. treatment plant. Right. <laughs> so how about lead-free water? Hmm? So Anyone? conservatives on day one, they wanted this gone. And Ben Carson I is s- keeping it. You know, um, it might not be a good idea to get rid of all of this because, uh, you know, if we don't have smart people of color, who will build the pyramids full of grain? <laughs> That's a reference. All right. So anyway, uh, Ben Carson, <laughs> random biblical reference aside, uh, look it up. Google it. It's funny. Pyramids of Grain, Ben Carson. Um, So anyway, he... uh, (laughs) Nummy, nummy. But, you know, we don't... I know, again, not a lot of fans of Ben Carson in this room, but I was very impressed with his logic. And he said, well, he didn't even necessarily argue on the racial part, which he did. But he furthermore and said, hey, the Supreme Court has already ruled on this, and it's already been codified. It's already been affirmed as being the way... He did not use all those words. No. But he did uh, say that the Supreme Court already ruled on it, and it's done. I I Googled it, and we'll be in trouble if we don't follow these rules. And so he's even looking at it from a, believe it or not, conservative standpoint, in in this sense, in this sense, follow me on this one, where if the folks who don't like this decide to not enforce it, then they will get they will be bogged down, the municipalities will be bogged down with legal challenges, and it will cost way more money to defend illegal racism than it will be to just let this organization make sure folks aren't being discriminated because of their color. I have something to alert you to. Mm. And Stein, I know you'll find this as a shock, but (laughs) conservatives have a reputation for being financially conservative that is BS. It's been gone since the W. In fact, we're going to hold your hold your fire in that one. They are gonna, not. No, I'm going to play a clip from uh, Senator Jeff Flake, who is one of the Jeez. Republicans now. You never thought you'd agree with Jeff, Jeff Flake. No, but I've never seen a senator more aptly named. <laughs> so he's come out and and he's saying what you're saying. We haven't been conservative since since before W. 
And uh, that's quite an admission. All right, well, meanwhile, play, that, play that beautiful bean footage, my friend. I will. Meanwhile, uh, also, the Department of Justice has been, uh, I'm sorry, the White House intern story, that's another funny one, but the, uh, has been in, in fine, they've, they're, uh, they just recruited a staff to go and find and investigate discrimination against white people in colleges. So that's a fun one. Not only see now, yeah, previous well, conservatives have threatened to remove affirmative action. See, I mean, they want to remove affirmative action and go and and create a team. Well, because uh, historically, uh, rich white men have been discriminated against in this country uh, to no end. It's just it's a travesty the way that rich white Christian men are treated in this country. You know, but there's a it, it, and you're right. Ah! I, I I know that's crazy, and we in this room go, well, how could you say that that white people are being denied college admission? Because by the way. There is a lot of data on it. Not the case. Right. College admissions still continue to be not representative of the general population, racially speaking, first of all. So there's facts to say that that isn't true. But also, um, <laughs> this idea that white people discriminate, one of, one of, they did a survey, and a majority of rural white folks, when asked the question, do you think co- black people pay for college, they don't believe back black people pay for college. They think black people get free college all the time, black and brown folks. Like there's universal college just for yeah, black Yeah, just people. for them, that they just get free college. In this country. And, and that is a pervasive enough belief. And so if you believe that widely through a community, that then people of color Let's spread it pay, to all of us. Universal college for everyone. Yeah, there is the antidote. Listen to right. Bernie Sanders. Yeah. Free college for everyone. Then you wouldn't have to worry about it. So, well, at any rate, uh, and then the other one that was funny came up with the White House intern, intern picture. I know Hendrick oh, knows this God. story. So every year, you know, the White House interns, they take a picture of all hundred some odd White House interns. And if you look at the 2015 one, for instance, with Obama, it looks like the colors of Benetton, you know. I mean, it's just folks from every age, probably half women, half men, and of every, I mean, of every uh, color, shape, and size. In the current one, White House interns, of the 100-plus interns, 80 of them are white men, 20 are white women, and 3 are black men. So Very representative of the United States. 80% white men, apparently. Mm -hmm. 20 white women. I guess that was the rough count. Uh, Although some of them may be white with a secondary heritage we couldn't, you you couldn't detect in the the photo. No, but they're white enough for the photo. They were not, (laughs) there was an empirical enough evidence that they were white enough for the photo. 100 white people, 3 black people, and 80 of them were men. Instead of women, yeah. So. <laughs> How much you want to bet the three black ones are cleaning up after everybody? <laughs> oh no, you had to go. <laughs> Damn right, I went there because that's exactly where the administration took me. Well, okay, well, so this seems to be the show about uh, race today because coming up, uh, we have another. This isn't about race, actually. Coming up, a the term "reclaiming my time." And if you haven't heard this one busted around the internet, this has been one of those congressional theater things that is just too much fun to miss. This is Jeff Ward. I see you Wish I could read your mind this is Jeff's World, where news and life meets optimism and patriotism. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferrison and Jeff Hendrick, and we had a little congressional theater moment that has made the memes of the internet so much theater! so. Theater! Theater! Congress! <laughs> Maxine Waters, congresswoman from right here down in Los Angeles, Democrat. And uh, in the interest of full disclosure, I'll be the first one to say that I'm not always a big fan of Maxine Waters. Um, not I, she's, she's a good person. She's well-intended. I think she's a little too intense and angry and goes for the victimhood too quickly. However, 
if I said that to anyone, the first thing they could say to me was probably, well, if you went through what she went through and you knew her life, you'd be that way too. And I go, yep, I agree. I believe that her brand of aggressiveness is definitely uh, in line with her life experience. So I don't judge her for that. I think if I were Maxine, also, I would talk like Maxine. Also, yeah, you gotta you got to figure that on the right side of the aisle, there are enough crazy crackers to more than balance out our uh, our Maxine Waters. There. Yeah, and the fun thing about Maxine Waters, we're going to play a little clip here where they just had a recent hearing with Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, former Goldman Sachs, you know, uh, how many mortgages, that default mortgages, that bad mortgages in the time of the uh, crisis? 35,000. 35, personally responsible for 35,000 fraudulent uh, mortgages during the that led to the, of course, the, the big short. The and crisis. his big profits. And his big profits. And, of course, we know Donald Trump said he was going to drain the swamp and, would, and on the campaign trail uh, avowed to us all that he would never let Wall Street into his White House. And then, of course, the Treasury Secretary is Goldman Sachs. Steve Mnuchin. So he sat down and Maxine Waters had some questions. And I will preface this by saying that one of the things about congressional hearings is whether you're coming in from kind of one side or the other or not at all, you have to be able to endure folks who want their questions asked. <laughs> Just the way it is. You can't be terse. You can't be snotty. And uh, as you listen to Mnuchin, you, it's hard to tell because the video requires a little bit. He's basically trying to stall. And every time she asks him a question, he keeps going back to his prepared notes of congratulations. It's very odd. Anyway, I want to give you a little a taste of it. It's, it's very odd. Are you familiar with the 20, uh, May 23rd letter I sent to you along with several of my Democratic colleagues on this committee? Yes, I am. Is there some reason why I did not get a response uh, to the letter that I sent, May 23rd? So, uh, Ranking Member Waters, first of all, let me thank you for your service to California. Being a <laughs> resident of California, uh, I appreciate everything that thank you've you done very much, for the community I there. I don't want to take my time. I, I've, I also I have appreciated Re the opportunity to meet reclaim with you in my time. several times in my when time. we were doing our, our in my time. Yes, the time belongs to the general lady from California. Good for her. Let me just God, what a say scumbag. to you, uh, thank you for... Uh, your compliments about how great I am, but I don't want to waste my time on me. Uh, I want to know about the May 23rd letter. Uh, you know about it? Why did you not respond to me and my colleagues? I was going to answer that. Just please uh, go straight to and the answer. Mr. Chairman, I thought when you read the rules, you acknowledged that I shouldn't be oh. interrupted and that I would have Reclaiming my time, what he failed to tell you was, when you're on my time, I can reclaim it. I, he left that out, so I'm reclaiming my time. Please, will you respond to the question of why I did not get a response, me and my colleagues, to the May 23rd letter? By the way, the May 23rd letter was asking him about uh, Russia and Russia, about Trump, uh, finances with Russian companies and right. asking him as part of the Treasury Department to alert the, the Congress, and he ignored that. But anyway, she continues to try to reclaim her time. Listen to her response. Well, I was going to tell you my response. Just tell me. Okay. So first of all, okay, let me just say that the Department of Treasury has cooperated extensively with the Senate Intel Committee, with the House reclaiming Intel my time, Committee, with the Senate Judiciary Reclaiming my time. Okay. Reclaiming Matter of my fact, time. Mr. Secretary, the, the time belongs to the gentlelady from California. 
Perhaps, Mr. Chairman, I don't understand the rules because I thought I was allowed to answer questions. Reclaiming my time. Would you please explain the rules and not take that away from my time? By the way, the final punchline was is that the ranking member, the Republican uh, head of of the Finance Committee, did... Give her her five minutes back. She got her time. But, but, you, but please don't give credit for pe- people doing their jobs like they're yeah. some kind of superhero. Yeah. That's his job I as know. the parliamentarian. I know. I, and it's to follow the rules. And and when I, I'm so tired of when a Republican follows the rules, they're upheld as some kind of amazing patriotic <laughs> hero. They're not. My God, Thank they you. didn't screw us. Let's give him a parade. So I'm happy that he did his job. You're right. And what I love about you picking this clip to play it for our listeners is to show the shenanigans that these, you know, Republicans are engaging in, such as she, by her reclaiming her time, it points out how he intended to use the time to not answer the question. And she had the knowledge of the rules uh to use it yeah. appropriately yeah um and so there is a punchline to this uh, as well as you organize that thought because it, it, you're right the republicans <laughs> i'm sitting here congratulating them for doing their job but i guess i did that because i've seen so many congressional hearings where they allow this to occur and if you guys watch the comey hearing a lot of folks watched it live you may have noticed especially the sessions hearing this jeff sessions tried to do so much complimenting and small talk to that the each person who only got five minutes would have their five minutes burned. Yeah, I think if a number of senators actually said, could you get off your knees, yeah. Senator Sessions? Yeah. This is uncomfortable So for the everyone. final punchline is that it became such an internet meme that a YouTuber named Michael Kilgore, who's done a lot of fun stuff, he does, he's a great singer, he, he put it to song because, you know, it's gospel-worthy, right? You want to talk about the things I've done, but I'm reclaiming my time. Yeah, you want to speak on the battles I've won, yeah. but I'm reclaiming my time. Ooh, oh. wow. That's not why I brought you here to share. I'm reclaiming my time. Yeah, don't read my resume because I was there. I'm reclaiming my yeah. time. Oh. Yes, I am. My time. Every minute. My I'm, time. Every second. My time. Stop talking. My time. Do you know the rules? My time. When it's my time. My time. I can take it back. My time. Oh. <laughs> you get the yeah. point. Uh, he does. By the way, if you've seen the YouTube, he does. He does the six split. You know, screen. He does all the harmonies. One of those right. He's one of those YouTubers that uh, will do the entire harmony. So good for you, Michael. Speaking Gipo. to your point, Erica, earlier about congratulating people for simply doing their jobs. <laughs> I know the media was doing handstands, cartwheels, and parades for John McCain coming out of the hospital, and they completely ignored his colleague, Maisie Hirono. Maisie Hirono. Maisie Hirono, who was fighting Senator stage from Hawaii. four kidney cancer. Yeah. And she got on a plane, and she got out, and she went and voted. And she voted not to take people's health care away. Yeah. And the media was virtually silent on a woman who's fighting the same battle John McCain is, and, and to uh, her credit, too, she didn't. We found out this fact because I, we're, you're like me, was watching reporters kept asking her about it because she yeah. didn't even want to bring it up. She was. She didn't very think it was quiet. a card you would play. Right. Right. So. Well, act. and also, you know, how about mm. and, and I'm fine with that. But just while we're on the topic, 
John McCain was really heralded as the hero yeah. to stopping the health care bill. And I do appreciate and good for him to stand in his integrity. This but time. the two women that yeah, carried the water Susan Susan Collins, for right. all of that time. Yeah. It's Zip. like Zip. just nothing. Not much there, yeah. you know, given to them about that. But they don't do it for those reasons. But no. it's worth pointing out. Yeah. No, it's for sure. That's for sure. Okay, so, uh, gosh, so much stuff coming well, this, up. Okay, but, go ahead. No, yeah, coming up, we're going <laughs> to get back into that. Plus, we got North Korea and Scaramucci as we kind of slide into, uh, the, and also the healthcare debate, which is continuing, sort of, sort of. Uh, there is something going on. Oregon, as I teased, is not waiting. What they're doing up there is pretty freaking amazing. Plus, uh, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or, Oregon may surpass California. I know, I'm in a as, bit of a as, competition. Is the liberal crazy in crazy? Crazy in a good way, state over yeah. here. Well, as they would say, only because of Portland and Eugene, because uh, everybody else there, like, there's a whole lot of rural Oregon who's like, I'm tired of what Portland's doing. So, yeah, anyway. well, then move. <laughs> Get out. Up. It's all on Jeff's world. She just wants to be beautiful. She goes, He may have been quieter than most other Trump acolytes, but Reince Priebus was one of the president's most loyal supporters. He played a pivotal role keeping mainstream Republicans in line when most of the GOP was trying to rebel against Trump after he won the nomination. As you may recall, he lavished Trump with praise during a super creepy cabinet meeting last month. On behalf of the entire senior staff around you, Mr. President, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to serve your agenda. Ugh. <laughs> you sound like a stalker. Why don't you just go to his Instagram and like 15 pictures in a row? What was going through his head when he said that? Oh, look, there's history. I'm going to go stand on the wrong side of it. <laughs> there's a good chance that's where Priebus was sitting when Trump fired him. Although, I assume Trump didn't actually say anything. He just pushed a button and Priebus fell through a trap door. <laughs> but of course, Trump wouldn't really use a trap door to fire someone because that is too quick and not nearly mean enough. What really happened is on Friday, Priebus deplaned from Air Force One and got in an SUV with other staffers. While he was in the SUV, Trump tweeted that he had named a new chief of staff. According to Politico, other aides riding with him hopped into a different car once the tweet posted. Yeah. His no. SUV separated yeah. from the motorcade and went on a rainy ride through Washington alone. By himself. Even worse, it was only raining on that car. Davis. Ah. <laughs> was apparently so servile that even trivial and demeaning tasks were delegated to him. For example, the Washington Post reported on Friday that at one point, during a meeting in the Oval Office, a fly began buzzing overhead, distracting the president. As the fly continued to circle, Trump summoned his chief of staff and tasked him with killing the insect. Yeah. You're kidding. You know your status is diminished when you can be replaced by a strip of sticky paper. (laughs) Also, you called Reince Priebuson to kill a fly? You should have called Obama. And they show the clip. Nice. I remember that. Yeah, caught yeah, it midair, didn't he? A death fan. Yeah. And yet, despite all the abuse and all the rumors, for months, Priebus survived the constant gossip about his rocky tenure and his impending firing. Yeah. That is until Trump hired his new communications director, former Wall Street financier Anthony Scaramucci. Scaramucci, 114 pounds of Alfredo sauce, hair gel, and rage, <laughs> tore into Priebus in a profanity-laden tirade last week, calling him a paranoid schizophrenic, a paranoiac. I love that he used the word paranoiac. Paranoiac sounds like a town on Long Island. How do you get to the Hamptons? Oh, you just take the LIE, pass Ronkonkoma and Sacaponac until you hit paranoiac. Boom, you're there. 
Scaramucci. Locals love that, of course. Last Scaramucci year. had not limited his attacks on Priebus to public interviews. He also trashed him in private. According to the Daily Beast, two sources who have known Scaramucci for years say that he has privately called Priebus Reince Penis. Uh. So it's official. The White House is a middle school cafeteria. And so is this. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. Uh, thank you for joining us. Wow. I mean, yeah. I mean, they jumped out of the SUV and left Reince Penis in there. Sorry, Reince Priebus in there. <laughs> That's just... Reince Priebus! But so, I am well, he... the Stormborn Führer. Where's everyone going? I'm Reince Priebus! Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, go ahead. You have theories. I don't feel like I always take the funny out of our show. <laughs> you have seriousness? Yeah. And, and <laughs> All right, go ahead. Here's the serious thing that's that's yeah, happening yeah. here. <laughs> Stein's already like, yeah, no, yeah. I know. Like, I were, really you guys scary. are like so ready to do some really fun impressions and jokes. And we I just do just, it because we're scared. I just like <laughs> we killed do make it, jokes because we're scared. But um, <sighs> maybe you can find a way to weave it in. But um, <laughs> I was reading um, George Lakoff's latest, right. and he was talking about metaphors and how it's natural for human beings to kind of adopt metaphors and live by them. And one of the most common one is the metaphor like time is money. Right. I'm budgeting my time. I'm saving my time. Right. You know, things like that. And the the metaphor that, that Trump is, is living under is um, what Louis the Fourteenth, King of France. He had this saying. I'm gonna mess this up, but maybe speak French. Let etat c'est moi. I am the state. Right. Yeah. That right. was his metaphor, and that was his downfall as well. And 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 you know that's a metaphor that Lakoff is saying a king could live by, and that is Trump's metaphor that. I am the nation. Yeah. And and really it is um and when you see this and you see the way the Republicans and senior uh White House officials are behaving, they are acting as if Trump is the nation. They pledged an allegiance to Trump, but really the people and the senior staff have pledged allegiance to serve the nation, not the president. And I think it's important that people start to see this. There was a crucial piece of footage that came across uh, on MSNBC yesterday. Uh, Kelly, the new head of... Uh, yeah, John Kelly. John Kelly. Kelly. Chief of Staff, Lieutenant General, retired Marine General, Lieutenant... I mean, John Kelly. Yes. Right. Who I have on a good source is nothing more than a brown-nosing simp. And that's how he uh, escalated. I've heard good things about him, but go You've ahead. You've heard good things about him? I've got somebody who is embedded in Afghanistan with him, so I yeah. might... You know, we'll, we'll have a little discussion about that. He's not the best general, maybe. But, but Kelly <laughs> said, I am here to serve the president. And this congresswoman immediately stopped him and said, no, sir, like the rest of us, you are here to serve the people. Yeah. And when your chief of staff has his head that far up his own backside that he thinks I have to serve the president. No, man. Every single one of you punks. You answer to us. We the people. And you really got to get that through your thick, pointed, yeah. empty heads, or there's going to be some serious freaking trouble soon. I don't know if we can unwrap all the psychology in this last few last week or so because it is so multi layered. As Erica points out, the king factor. Oh yeah, uh, he likes to refer to him the, the reason he loves generals. They're my generals. Trump always refers yeah. to them as my generals. They're not, though. And the reason he apparently loves generals, according to these insiders who leak out and talk about his psychology, people that know him, is because they do what they're told. 
and generals are and, and he's particularly you know loyalty based and he has this belief that if, that a general will find a way to do the order and he doesn't know that he doesn't get it also too if you've ever known anything in military you know there's an expression as soon as you get up above a, a first star of general it's more of a political job than a military job absolutely and so uh, these folks know that it's not just following orders they know it's following just orders and or and and determining the justness of an order is what generals are supposed to do so there is that factor. Uh, another thing that was weird How about, about the Constitution as a factor, absolutely. And you know, John Kelly may or may not be able to uh, corral these cats, this herd of cats. No, there is there is definitely a, a big question mark around that. And he is a guy I think who's not he's not going to do anything blatantly unconstitutional, illegal, immoral that you know really out of it. Whereas Reince Priebus would. Uh, Ryan's previous would be happily lie. Uh, John Kelly is going to try to shape the message, and he's going to probably find that he can't shape the message, and then he'll get frustrated, and, and I don't know what he'll do when he gets frustrated. But I, I see Kelly in the position for less than 30 days. I don't think it's going to last either because he's yeah. going to get so upset with what's going on. But some other background information, I love the the, 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 the gossipy pages of, uh, if you will, of the political pages. It would refer to uh, the Scaramucci's entrance as a Reince-seeking missile or a Reince assassin. That's fine. That apparently he was recruited by Jared and Ivanka, who likes, who was friendlier with Mooch, for the purpose of infiltrating it, creating a situation that would force Spicer and Priebus to quit. Because here's another weird little psychological trick that keeps coming out of uh, the pages about about Trump, is that despite his signature phrase of you're fired... He doesn't do it a lot. He hates firing yeah. people. Yeah. He doesn't like to take responsibility for it. because he, he has extreme he does, discomfort. Right. He doesn't know about responsibility. Responsibility is a foreign country he to him. He has almost never actually looked somebody in the face and gone to the... And I, fi- when I fired a bunch of people as a comedy executive and it is not a pleasant thing and you have to to get through that experience and it takes a deep level of summoning of your humanity. Right. You have to get deep to let people go and not be a prick about it. Right. And Trump's never done that. And if you look through his business career, what he's done instead is he orchestrates conditions that make it impossible for the person to stay right. rather than firing it's them the because mo- he doesn't want the responsibility of looking them in the face. The most passive-aggressive, stupid nonsense ever. <laughs> and I wish it weren't true. That's like the, the flip side of the employee, right, who tries to do everything they can to get fired because they don't have... Uh, they want the, the courage to quit. Right, yeah, right, right. the courage to quit. It's the same thing. It's the same, same side of the same coin, or other side of the same coin. And so, and that leads to this weird thing with Scaramucci, where it was obviously easy for Jared and Ivanka to kind of convince Dad, "Hey, take Scaramucci on. He'll be great." And then, of course, he turned out to be a disaster. So he was gone. He was he wasn't even going to be officially employed until August fifteenth. Right. He got fired before he was officially hired. And the joke, that takes some doing. That takes some doing to get fired before you're hired. <laughs> It's like you're Come finishing on. your resume, and they go, "You're fired." It's like what? The, uh, the ink isn't dry yet. Yeah, you're done, son. And so, uh, so many jokes on the internet, but one that cracked me up: Allure magazine uh, did a did a poll. Wait, wait, the hard hitting political pages right? of Allure, Allure, right? Which is obviously okay. fashion, glamour, etc. Right? And they <laughs> <laughs> they said they did a little quick uh, Twitter survey retweet. If you've had a period that lasted longer than Scaramucci. (laughs) Unfortunately, I have. (laughs) Remember, like, 10 day period? Yeah, I've had one. No, yeah. Just like, ah. But they call them also, Scaramucci, kind of this Spicer Priebus suicide bomber. 
that he was tasked uh, to come in and remove these folks that were so sycophanty that Trump couldn't fire them. But, you know, he had to get somebody else to make it impossible. Oh my gosh, are you saying President Trump is a wimp? Oh, big time. He's certainly a whiny one. He's a constant pollster. If you don't know this too, not only does he go in front of crowds, you saw Boy Scouts, wherever, he's always soliciting for adoration. But apparently within the White House and every dealing he's had in business, he's always soliciting for approval and affirmation. But he doesn't just solicit for like, what do you think? He says, I'm doing this right. I'm awesome, right? And they go, yeah, you're awesome. If he was a girl, he he couldn't get a date. That's correct. Or if he got a date, (laughs) he wouldn't last in a relationship. Those are the worst. (laughs) I I mean, the constant need for like, am I okay? Does this look okay? It's lame. I'm pretty, right? I'm pretty, right? I'm pretty, right? Right? I'm pretty. I'm manly, right? I look good, right? Well, here's the thing, man. I got, and if you're listening, Donald J. Trump, listen. Listen very carefully. Daddy is dead and he will never love you. And no amount of what you do to other people or what accolades you try to manufacture, that hole in your heart is permanente because you've (laughs) never taken a good look at it and dealt with it. And so his entire crazy behavior, I think, could be traced right back to Fred and Fred just not digging Donnie. But for those of you who have had parents who passed on who felt like maybe they never expressed their love... You can love yourself. Oh, sure. And move through it. Sure. And heal. Yeah. Well said. Well said. So, and, Donald, um, if you're listening. Donald, if you're listening. So, and as we're talking about Donald in the White House, one last thing before we uh, come around to is that um, he recently did a, uh, there was an inter- there was a article in golf.com uh, where <laughs> apparently <laughs> he was out on the golf course recently. It was a month or so ago. And with his golf buddies. And, you know, he just loves to yammer on. And he was getting in one of his classic braggy moments, talking about how great his buildings are and how great his facilities are. And he told his golf buddies that he prefers staying at his own properties rather than the White House because the White House is a real dump. Well, since January, it's been a real dump. I can, uh, I'll back him on that one. Yeah, but... It, the the new tenants have really brought oh, the property value down. The neighbors are complaining about the Trumps. And the uh, the, the the reaction yeah. to this it always amazes me because the Boy Scout thing. I went through the, a lot of the tweets and this and that and reading it and going, oh my gosh, people really standing up for the Boy Scouts, really fighting to regain the ground of that. This is a hallowed group of of nonpartisan believers of courage and character. You know, and I was so impressed with that. Well, the same thing happened with the White House. There's been this rush of like an army of historians running to, uh, right. to articles and, and, <clears throat> and, you know, shows saying, no, the White House is 174 rooms and this and that is a beautiful place. And it has this and it has John Adams inscribed over the whatever. And it's the most beautiful, hallowed, did wonderful you, places ever. Did you see the meme that had Trump on the top and Obama on the bottom? And Trump says the White House is a dump. And what Trump says is, you know, sometimes when we put the kids to bed. Uh, and, when Obama and, says. When yeah, we, Obama said, you know, sometimes when Michelle and I get the kids down. And I wander into Lincoln's office that has his original desk and it has a copy of the Gettysburg address handwritten and they said he just kind of stands there and just soaks it in yeah you know here's a guy who freaking gets it man that's just you're you're in a storied building like you can't walk down a corridor without bumping into ghosts i bet yeah and to call that place a dump after trump and some of the buildings and the 
gaudiness of well, his the apartment? the only reason he would Come say on! it. If, and again, everybody does everything for relief. Why is it relief? For him, it's relief because he is now almost distancing himself from the presidency because he almost wants to go back to his cocoon of being a worshipped real estate developer and not a judged president. Well, then God, well, he feels then God criticized. Speech, sir. Yeah. Get it on. <laughs> go. Yeah, exactly. Sheepers. Yeah. But he's he also is feeling, you know, he's starting to hear the criticism of how much money you Republican fiscal conservative, which they are so not, how much money he's costing us yeah. taxpayers who pay his bills. Yeah. And so, yeah, so it's not him. It's the White House. It's right. always. Right. But well, it's also, never him. Too listen without you know rooms painted in gold and Trump signs everywhere and marble slapped on every single feature. I guess to him that's a dump. Yeah. So Chelsea Clinton handled it beautifully on the Twitterverse. She responded and she didn't draw attention to you know what she didn't say. What she didn't say about anything about what he said. This was this was this was the genius response. From this Chelsea. was the perfect response. Yeah. She simply said. Thank you to all the White House ushers, butlers, maids, chefs, florists, gardeners, plumbers, engineers, and curators for all you do every day, Chelsea Clinton. Just, just boom. It, 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 it's a non-response, response. devastating response. Yeah. You know? <laughs> That's so right. I'm not attacking you directly, but man, did I just wipe yeah. the floor with you. Yeah, yeah. And, so. and to her credit, I'm not a huge fan of hers, but this is a perfect tweet. It is it the was. perfect response. Yeah. Thank you for everybody who makes this not a freaking dump. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Coming up, I uh, often speak to my Trump supporter friends, and uh, there's a through line they keep talking about of what they wanted Donald Trump to do, and I believe he has achieved it, this one particular component. So we're going to talk about that as well as Russia and North Korea if we have time. This is Jeff's World. It's all beautiful and it's real and it's all real. While we know that the autocrat billionaire brothers from another mother badly wanted to improve U.S.-Russia relations, <laughs> it seems like it's not going quite that way. The Senate has approved tough new sanctions for Russia, and now the bill heads to President Trump's desk. The bill was passed by an overwhelming 98-2 to vote. It gives Congress the power to block the president from easing sanctions against Moscow. Yeah. Not only did they put sanctions on Russia, they've effectively put sanctions on Donald Trump. That's what they've done. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a strange thing when you think about it. Because it's almost like Congress is these parents going like, we don't want you playing with that boy anymore. <laughs> I cannot wait to, hear, to see him sign that because he loves them. He's going to be like, and this one, folks, is going to be here, uh, me protecting America from myself. There you go. <laughs> there you go. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. And by the way, it wasn't even close. Uh, not only did the sanctions pass the Senate by 98 to 2, uh, in the House, uh, the vote was 419 to 3. Yep. Yeah. That is but- insane. Everyone in Congress went up against Russia like it was Ted Cruz. Like, <laughs> you want to know, know how much they hate Russia? Just for yourself, imagine how you'd feel if Jaja Binks starred in Godfather 3. That's how much they hated. Oh, that's like funny. Hatred of oh my God, that's I funny. I thought I was out, but they start pulling me back in. Ah. <laughs> Actually, I want to watch that movie now. No. <laughs> so uh, Congress hit Russia with more sanctions. And uh, if you know anything about Russians, when you hit them, they always hit back. 
Russia is ramping up its retaliation against the U.S. over new sanctions. Russian President Vladimir Putin told the U.S. yesterday to slash its staff in Russia by 755 people. The U.S. will also lose access to a storage facility and its beautiful country house and leafy property on the outskirts of Moscow. <laughs> what? Dag nabbit. What? Wait, so, so Russia retaliated against the new sanctions by taking America's country house? <laughs> it's bizarre. Man, it really, it really does feel like Trump and Putin are getting divorced. <laughs> okay, Donald, I'm taking the country house. Not the country house, no! <laughs> no! We just renovated the bathroom! I know, and I'm sure Syria will enjoy the heated toilet seat. You bastard! <laughs> I picked it out myself. It's so funny. This is Jeff's World. I'm Jeff Stein with Erica Ferris and Jeff Hendrick. And um, yeah, those sanctions, don't, don't underestimate that. I was I was a little nervous when the sanctions were coming through, whether or not Congress, because that was to me a good test of whether or not they really believed that do Russia kn- was an enemy. Right. Do we know the five people that voted no? I know, right? I don't even know who that was. Oh, I was we, look oh it up. we should. We should. It's probably Rand Paul. I'm almost certain. Yeah, I'm sure Rand Paul was one. And in the Senate. And maybe yeah. Mike Lee of Utah. He's pretty uh, renegade that way, too. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, and they, not, they put in a provision, too, <clears throat> that a lot of times, you know, when you do sanctions and such, uh, it's it, the, the executive branch is allowed to do some maneuvering on the implementation. And in this particular version of the sanctions, they put in a statute or a clause that says that, that he can't do any changes without congressional approval. That so. That's an incredibly telling piece of legislation. Yes, it is. I mean, beyond... Yes. Beyond just the fact that it's a sanction against Russia, the fact that our Congress looked at our president and said, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta hem this crazy bastard in, because <laughs> he's a cuckoo bird. Look, we, we don't want him to be able to undo what we're doing here." Yeah. Now the question I, is, I will he sign like it? I, I, I'm not so sure about this. I, I feel like this is reminiscent of the lead up to the Iraq War when there were no weapons of mass destruction and the media and the Congress, you know, plowed ahead and very few people stood against it. To me, I'm a radical humanist, yes, which means are. I am not for war, particularly World War III. And I understand that our industrial military complex needs a big enemy in order for them to continue manufacturing and making money, uh, you know, from weapons because these quote unquote war on terrors, they're just not fight fought like the old wars are fought with, you know, small things here and there. So, I I'm not so sure about this. Golly, golly, Erica! It almost sounds like we ought to get out of the war business. <laughs> we ought to get out of the war business, golly. and I I think that the war business is heavily influencing this. And I know that's not a that's not a popular opinion. So no, I mean when your uh, when your favorite tool is a war, it's like when you when when your only tool you have is a hammer, every problem is like a nail. And so we definitely have that uh, part of our consciousness. We but go, I we but that. I also feel like you know. It's easy for the Democrats to point the fingers at the Republicans, right. but be careful before you just become the flip side of the coin. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. It, just because the Democrats are leading on this doesn't doesn't make it. And, you know, look, I could be wrong. I'm not saying that I'm right. I'm just saying I'm. 
Yeah. Not quite on board. Well, you know, it, we're, we're, the great fortune we can all agree on is that we haven't had a major crisis yet, and that's because right now we just not, aren't ready for it. If you're, we've, we've told you before about, for instance, the State Department, where 80% of the 180 of, of the ambassadorships are still empty. Yeah, he's got. He's talked, got two of a twenty-four assistant secretaries, one of six undersecretaries, one hundred and eighty-eight ambassadors missing. Yeah, there's like close to five hundred people. There are five hundred job openings he can't seem to fill. Yeah, and partially because Trump won't let him fill them, and that's why we all think that Rex Tillerson may get impatient here uh, because they're not putting allowing any nominees to move forward. Because of course they try to blame it on the Democrats, but Democrats are like we're not doing anything. First of all, we can't control it, and second of yeah, all, you haven't seen a single you, nominee. You haven't out. sent a single nominee. No your way. nominees. Now, the good news, and my uh, Trump fans like to tell me, is that the stock market, Dow is up 22000 Everything. Who is that right. benefiting? Tell me one poor <laughs> son of a bitch in a red state who doesn't have a coal mining job where his portfolio has suddenly gone through the roof. Interesting thing. Point you this guy that. out. 178,000 new jobs this month. And by the way, you need about 200,000 jobs every month in order to keep up with just population growth. Correct. And Correct. Yes. Kind of, about 200,000 a month is what you need anyway. 100 that, to 100. Yeah, that's 200, a zero 000. sum right there. That's kind of a, that just yeah. keeps up with that thing. Of those, almost we had the lowest, uh, or the biggest decline in manufacturing jobs and jobs outside of cities. So if you're trying to help Trump voters, which are mostly in rural communities, almost all of those new jobs went to cities non-manufacturing. Right. So it's not really helping them. That's fine. I'm not trying to take the wind out of your sail of the, of the, of the Dow. And, and I'll tell you what, I'll give a little commitment to my, my Trump friends because one thing, if you know anything about politics, uh, the first six months of a presidency is the previous president's rules and especially since the fact that this president has not passed an actual budget yet so no. he can't actually claim any mechanical effect any infrastructure effect on the economy that won't so, that won't stop him no he'll brag about <laughs> it but if we get to the end of this year if we start january and if we get in the first quarter of 2018 and we're still soaring i'm gonna go hey trump He's had an effect. There's no doubt. Right. Um, but right now, this is still running on Obama fumes, and and, uh, and star- he hasn't even passed a budget. And it's so, starting to already taper off a and bit. And so, yeah. you know, and of course, uh, if you follow the Wall Street, uh, you know, the news and such, which I try to because I have money in the market, uh, it everyone's talking, when's the crash? When's the crash? When's the crash? When's the crash? Of course. And I don't want to talk about that either. Well, no, I mean, it just I've, it happen, I've read too many reports from too many economists that say that the, the Dow should never be above 12,000. But the other it's thing completely that, artificially inflated right now. Yeah, it's it is artificially high. Certainly, so, my money manager tells me that. But anyway, the um, other thing that I get a lot from the a lot of Trump supporters is he was he was supposed to disrupt the system, and I'll give you credit for that one. Uh, he has disrupted the system. He has thrown certainly the Democrats into rebuild. And uh, although my Trump supporters are very much in disagreement of, of whether they're doing well, I think this new position that they're taking, I'm impressed with how many sitting Democrats are talking about until we get money out of politics, we're never going to get very far. And that's impressive to hear a lot of them say it. I heard a lot of them from Chuck Schumer's blah, all the way out to blah, the Patrick Murphy's. Blah, blah, well, okay, blah. let me just... Until there's a law. Until no, they, they it, said constitutional amendment. They actually been talking fine, about constitutional amendment. That's fine, but until amendment. they actually write one down and, and propose that bad boy, it's blah, blah, blah. And I think you have a point. And I think that we have seen for a long time uh, politicians, they give fealty to the people. They give fealty. They'll say, uh, for example, here in California, I've been a single single payer proponent for 18 years. But when it comes time to pass one, they don't do it. And they don't vote for it. And here's an incident I was listening to on uh, the Jimmy Dore show, I guess on July 4th, there's a woman named Lally something. I don't remember her last name, but she's like a senior editor of the Washington Post. 
her parents or she throws in the Hamptons, she throws a huge party. I think you, you might even know oh, what God. I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. So this huge party, July 4th party in the Hamptons, here were her guests at the party. Um, Chuck Schumer and his wife. Oh. Sure. Kamala Harris. Oh. Ivanka and Jared Trump. Oh. Kellyanne Conway. Sean Spicer. They're all invited to the same party. Well, They're all to you say know, parties. Hanging out. Yeah. There's something to be said for that. So I want to go back to my old acting roots. When I was in improv, there was a rule that said, show me, don't tell me. <laughs> and when they start showing me, yep. um, I will give them credit. But the words, I've heard them too many times, and they say them, and they say them well, and they they say them beautifully, but when it comes down to it, they don't act on it, so we'll see. So a couple more quick things before we uh, wrap this show up. Uh, Bob Mueller, everyone's watching him. As I've said before, all the many attorneys he's been hiring. Well, the latest one they hired was a expert in uh in in organized uh, white collar crime expertise, but specifically a does uh, bribes foreign bribes. Who is a criminal prosecutor of foreign bribery? So that was added to the Mueller team. Oh dear, yeah. To in, or, in, as they're looking at uh, Donald Trump and company. Right, surprise. we talked about this on prior shows. We can kind of we can kind of see the charges that are going to be brought against the administration based on the guys that Mueller's bringing in. Yes. You know, he's got RICO guys, he's got bribe guys. Money laundering. Money all laundering guys, stuff. yeah. Let me ask you guys, with all of these, what is it, 16? 16, no, yeah, I think so. Superstar yeah. prosecutors. Yeah. Um, you guys have seen on the media all of this evidence, and I know that we don't know everything, but we've seen a lot. How far out are we for this uh to actually move forward. I mean, it won't happen this year. Yeah. Why is that? It's just too much, I yeah. think. It's just too big. Too, too, too much. much. They have too much irrefutable evidence? Yes. I think there's there's part part of that. And also, Mueller will not rush this. Mueller's a very... And they got to interview all yeah. the way up. But and Mueller there's so pati- many people who witnessed this. But all Mueller in particular, from everything that I've read and heard about him... Uh, super thorough. Super thorough. Like, may move at a glacial pace, but he doesn't miss a thing. And what happens if Mueller's so, fired? He won't be. But that's another discussion. Well, that's show. yeah. That you, you, we need. But even Republicans, really, he uh, won't be because that's against the rules. No, Is I've that watched why? a lot of Republicans. <laughs> no, no, I know. But I've watched a lot God, of Republicans. Um, you get. <laughs> there's been way too many re- sitting, sitting Republican Congress people who have openly said uh, that's that would not. That would be the last straw. We would end Guilty. it. So in the meantime, so what does that lead to? <laughs> There's a lot of talk of the 25th Amendment again amongst Republicans. Right. You know, Robert Reich loves to occasionally update this story. You may have been getting, remember when he talked yep. about it, he said, I sat down with my congressman friend who's telling me what's going on in, in, in the House. He never mentions the person's name, of course. But the latest discussion he had that he put out on Facebook was about the 25th Amendment. They seem to have an expectation about they have figured out that Donald Trump is out of his mind, and that's how they think. They said they won't impeach him because they're not going to, you know, turn in turn against their own party. But they will remove him when it becomes so glaringly obvious. And they said, "When is that? Well, when it's so obvious to everyone that he's out of his mind." Oh, like, uh, I think we we're last, here. last Thursday, and maybe? then Pence becomes president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that does not thrill me. I do really do not want to see this country turn into a theocracy, and Mike Pence does. Yeah, well, you and know, I will fight that. 
tooth and nail. It'll be easier to fight because they'll actually roll actual things out instead of just meandering one crazy statement and lie after another. You might get yeah. an actual uh, you know charge that you can address with Pence. You know, True, an and, actual... and Pence doesn't tweet. So yeah, so he'll actually have to say stupid stuff in person. <laughs> so, uh, but one last thing, uh, Jeff Flake, as I talked to you about, he he's got a book out called "Conscience of a Conservative," which is based on a Barry Goldwater quote. So that's is for that is. But <laughs> so he plagiarized the title with the word "conscience." In yeah, it. and he's been a thorn in Trump's side, obviously, <laughs> Senator Jeff Flake hang on, from hang Arizona. Hang on, hang on, I need a little time to digest and laugh at that. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know you do. I know you do. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. So he, <laughs> He says in his book, wow. and he's sitting down with Fox News' Bill Hemmer, and I'm watching a lot of Fox News, more than I should, and uh, it's it's in Drudge Report and going to see where they are. Drudge is definitely turning on Trump. He's losing the conservatives pretty fast now uh, because they're disgusted that the conservative agenda is not happening. They want, And Jeff Flake's among them. And you're going to listen to Jeff Flake, and the people in this room are certainly not going to agree with his, his opinions, but you will notice the discontent because it refers to a quote in his book where he says, if this was our Faustian bargain as Republicans, then it was not worth it. If ultimately our principles were so malleable as to no longer be principles, then what was the point of political victories in the first place? And then he gets into it with Bill Hemmer. Your criticism doesn't start now. It starts with President Bush 43. Oh. No child left behind, prescription drug medication that wasn't paid for. You're an anti-big government senator. So how then does Donald Trump fit into those principles? Now? Right. I, I do mention in the book, I, I got to Congress in 2001, myself and Mike Pence. We ran conservative think tanks in the 90s. Me at the Goldwater Institute. He was at the Indiana Policy Review. We got to Congress with full of vim and vigor, ready to go. And uh, Mike uh, joked one time, he said, I feel like uh, there were Minutemen arriving at the battlefront and told the revolution is over. And that's kind of how we felt. We got no child left behind, prescription drug benefit. We had earmark spending that was just egregious. And in 2006, we were turned out of the majority and then lost the White House in 2008. So this problem of cri this crisis of principle that we're having now didn't start uh, with President Trump. That uh, started long before, but I think some of the policies that the president has put forward, uh, policies of protectionism and isolationism, uh, those are, are foreign to conservatives. Uh, we've always believed in free trade, and conservatives have always been more, uh, you know, more steady in demeanor and in comportment, and that means something. It's not just conservative you're policy. We, we can't, uh, chaos is not a good principle. You're making the case for the party to get back on its principles and needs to return yes. to that. And you said you also, you'll, let the, you'll oppose the president when you think he's wrong, and you'll support him when you think he's right. You That's just correct. said wh why you think he is wrong. This is so Tell Fox us News. when you believe he has been right. Tell us oh, when you like you appointed a great Supreme Court justice, uh, <laughs> Neil Gorsuch. I was happy to help Jesus. shepherd that through the Senate. Right. Uh, on regulatory policy, I think he's been right. Uh, our economy has been overregulated badly. On tax policy, I think his instincts are right. Uh, but then the flip side, I think uh, he's profoundly wrong on free trade. Um, to turn down the TPP or Trans-Pacific Partnership will haunt us Amazing, for years. Right? And not just in terms of the economy, but uh, in geopolitical areas as well. These countries, particularly in Southeast Asia, need to be in our trade orbit, not just China's. And uh, we will be left behind the world that is already globalized if we don't enter into free trade agreements. You see, 
he he's pissed there at you know the conservative stuff of no we need to be the masters of the universe we we don't want to let China exploit all the labor we get to exploit the labor too hi I'm Jeff Flake and I am the embodiment of white privilege let me open my <laughs> mouth and suck on my foot because that's exactly where it's going God I hate that guy you know what's know. interesting Just about what a China douche. they have a booming economy. Well, and for a good portion of the, I mean, for a portion of the uh, population, they have also have extreme poverty for a large swath. But go ahead. There, they. And do you know what they have that we don't have? Hmm. Manufacturing. Yes, they do. Oh, and universal healthcare. So, for people to say that, uh, yes, that's true. For people to say that, oh, you know, manufacturing is the way of the past. Yep. Tell that to China, Japan. Well, it's just, Erica, we're, Germany. We're not building the they right... They have manufacturing in Germany. Right. We're not building the right things here. Yep. And we're importing a ton of crap that China is building. We could build our own crap, can't we? Aren't we craptastic, Jeff Stein? We are craptastic. Okay, then. Thank you. Thank you and Bart Simpson agree. So, they are craptacular, he said. Uh, so, craptacular. Craptacular. As we end the show, the one little bit of good news. I am officially in a competition with Oregon. Uh, to get health care first. They have just, uh, the Kate Brown there, Governor Kate Brown, the Democrat, and of course, she, it's she ain't messing around. No, she boy. ain't messing around. Uh, she's cool. And they are, <laughs> they've spent months working on this. Isn't that ironic? It is ironic. The Governor Brown. Governor Brown of Oregon. Oregon. Versus the Governor Brown of California. Yeah, that's the, that's the one major objection that Erica has to Governor Brown. I like Jerry Brown, but I, uh, I, I agree with you on the universal health care for sure. Anyway, they busted their butt in a state that, yes, there's a Democratic majority in both houses plus the governor. However, they do not have a super majority like we do here in California. Yeah, they had to work to get They this. had to work with the Republicans. Big time. They had to get 20-something-odd Republicans to get this yep. through. And as was the end, and getting it through meant paying for it, which is, of course, Eric has pointed out frequently is the problem. They don't. California complains we can't play for it. They found a way to pay for it. They increased no, 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 taxes no. a little I've bit. I've been misquoted. We do have a way to pay for it. But it hasn't no been attached. No, 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 no. We have it, but it hasn't been attached to the bill because the bill has been shelved. And you talk about procedures. You can't attach the financials to a bill on the shelf. It has to go to the health committee. Then you can attach it. And you'll see the progressive payroll tax. You'll you'll see the tax on the right. top five percent. You'll see the financials attached. So we do have a way to pay for it. But Speaker of the Assembly uh, Rendon, Anthony Rendon, is holding it up among others. So they found a way to pay for it and do it so that in the next years here, a hundred percent of the kids and ninety five percent of adults will be fully insured in Oregon. Yep. And watch it come to a crashing success. <laughs> <laughs> That's Jeff Hendricks. She's been Erica Ferriston. I'm Jeff Stein. And thank you so much for listening to Jeff's World. This has been Jeff's World, the social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein.